This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. A robot may not be coming for your job, but competitors are coming for your market share. At PwC, we pair the right tech with the right solutions to help you gain a competitive edge. Reimagine operations from the cloud, fuel innovation with responsible AI, and detect risks before they become headlines. That's human-led and tech-powered. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of the new equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yo, Jack and JP, even though I don't know you, I appreciate the fact that you have respect for me. And just know that I have respect for you. I know you do this podcast, bro. And listen, I'm going to tell you, this is how... You could bring fans back to the wrestling business. It's real simple. Just quit insulting their intelligence. Get out of the wrestling bubble and join us here in the real world. Have storylines, have characters that are based on reality. Let the real world be the backdrop. Let the business of professional wrestling be the backdrop. Quit being so corny. Quit being such a parody of yourself. Grow up. 
That's what the wrestling business needs. The wrestling business needs to mature in 2020. You do that, smarten up, and you will bring the fans back. Jack, JP, good luck with your podcast. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. It's still real to me, damn it. The Lapsed Fan. In all my years in professional wrestling, I've never seen anything like it. Oh, my God. Drop kick and a beauty. Well, it's the last fan man, number one in the ring. Forget about the sorrow, we the real king of swing. When the bell goes ding, you can kick like me. Thrown in the corner, make it splash like sting. Even Jerry King can take off the crown. Nodding his head like it's D-Lo Brown. We can get low down, but we go even higher. Flip you on your head, but you no cool driver. You be spitting more knowledge, dragon spits fire. Leave you more shocked than when Edge retires. Dropping more truth than we kind of sniper. Bless you with a coconut, right? Body Piper, Jack and JP, be like JYD, drop the cupcakes and gluten, the brain by beans, the best podcast from start to close, if y'all better fit, it's a five second pose. Boss, I suppose we should have known it would come to this. You know, it's, uh, it's gonna get worse before it gets better. This, That's for sure. the Art of War Games, has been a journey through the history of the Horsemen, the history of Dusty versus the Horsemen and the superpowers and the Road Warriors. It then morphed into a journey about the evolution of WCW. Yes, as they do. And the parts of its heritage that it discarded under Eric Bischoff and Bill Watts and Jim Hurd, and the parts it preserved, and how the State of the War Games match told us so much about the state of the mentality of those running World Championship Wrestling as the Fall Brawl era dawned. We're going to skip yeah. 1999 because <laughs> there's no war games. There was no war games for the first time at a fall brawl that year. The last time, of course, we were with you, it was fall brawl 1998. I mean, if you're going to, I mean, pay-per-views because, you know, they did have Clash of the Champions fall brawls that, you know, there were no war games. Come on, boss. For God's so, sakes. So, so. Um, hey, you know, <laughs> just keeping us on a straight path. That's we're nothing if not completists here at right. TLF. So... That should be it. This should be put to bed. It, it, was a, it was a rather underwhelming, depressing, and unnecessarily complicated war games in 1998. We talked about it at length last week, and it felt like a funeral. Uh-huh. It oh, was, yeah. It was just a fucking wake. Because the next day, the next time, the last time, under the World Championship Wrestling umbrella, that the words war games which since 1987 carried so much weight, as we've discovered I, over several weeks. I, I think it, in this, in this, uh, for this show, it should be called War Games. <laughs> I'll say. It, it, it went from wrestling to entertainment in 2000, because War Games is now a triple cage match. It is now Russo's Revenge. Oh, Jesus. It is a September 2000 edition of WCW Monday Nitro, the same landmark program that we included in the Art of War Games, its first two episodes it's in 1995. landmark at this point. Yeah, well, Tony Schiavone keeps talking about how it's six years since we first joined you on Nitro, but the WCW that greets us upon six years in September 2000 and what we call a War Games 
what we're almost obliged to call a war games because it took place under the WCW banner for no other reason. Yeah. Should this be considered a war games? We've got to talk about it because when you talk about the Vince Russo era at WCW, you have to just watch all of your nice things get swept off the shelf and crash to the ground like the, oh, yes. I mean, like the wet bandits have just broken in. That's what we're talking here. <laughs> And we're not some of the best cat bur- burglars in the world. We're going to no. go hard and loud. It's War Games 2000. God, this, this is, this is, you know, I don't even know if I can, like you, know, like you said, I don't even know if I can call this a War Games, but it is, it is, this is, if it's not the worst War Games, it's the most annoying War Games. Annoying in what way, my friend? Let's it's, get into it. I mean, first of all, you know the only the only remnants of of war games itself are the the timed intervals, the quote unquote rounds, or the uh, what do they call them in periods, right? And then you've got a cage with a ceiling on it, but this is like a hell in a cell cage on the bottom, and then you've got the the tears that go up, and for me the tears that went down my cheeks, honestly, as I was watching this <laughs> yeah, show, yeah. Yeah. Thinking to myself, fucking Christ, <laughs> yeah. what the hell was Dusty thinking at this point? You know, just like watching this shit. Well, we'll, we'll actually get a flavor of that because yeah. he did comment on it later in life when looking back on the history of the match. But but what I what I but like and so and then to really make it annoying is that you've got Russo wearing that fucking hockey head. I mean, hockey helmet. He was wearing it because he had gotten a concussion against Ric Flair few months before that kept good yeah here's the, here's here's the uh, the signal there vinnie rue get the fuck out of the ring yeah you shouldn't be in there pal i mean to write in your book years later that you knew you shouldn't have been in there is just belied by the fact that you kept putting yourself in there it's, it's funny because everyone else thought the same thing <laughs> i mean it's <sighs> and then we've got peak nash peak nash on my, show. I mean, he found a way to make his gimmick. The guy who stands outside the ring yeah. does none of the work and tries to grab the world I, title. I'll tell you, you know what might be the might be the good thing. You know, I'm I'm gonna win the damn thing. Right. So maybe I should I should play be smart above everybody else. Why the fuck would I go up there? You know, I should just be down here waiting for the guy to come out, and then I'm gonna knock him, and then I'm gonna take take the strap and call it a day. Knock him for the third time this week. The other two times were. On the internet. Um, But we spent a lot of time when we conceptualized this journey, boss, sort of trying to draw, uh, you know, fences, so to speak, around what is a war games, what counts and what doesn't. And this one, it's just not a war games, but they called it a war games and it's on the WCW show. So what the fuck? I mean, well... I will say this is this is the exception to the rule just because it's part of WCW. It's part of their heritage because, you know, I, I was thinking about this, you know, unlike the Starcade journey, you know, w- which saw the entire company kind of transform. And we certainly saw that here. But this this has been different because we focused on a match as opposed to a show. You know, a, a match which is very, very focused in a way. And we've seen how, um, you know, we've been able to watch this one match stand alone 
as the world around it changed and how it was forced to evolve based yep. on what was going on yep. around it. And um, that has been fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. For a match that's calling card is enclosing people, you know, inside something yep. and keeping the conflict within those walls, you're right. It's almost like a refuge. It's almost like a, a sanctuary right. from, from the chaos and unpredictability and tradition disrupting shit that was going on outside of its walls. Right. Maybe that's why we love the war games is because we get inside those uh, comfy confines and for a minute, uh, everything that we held dear isn't uh, under siege for no particular reason. Right. And so, but with that, it's just like, it's been, it's been, it's been fascinating to see this. And so to me, it kind of has to be, even though it, it is the one war games that does not follow the rules that we set out, but because it's part of WCW, it needs to be talked about because it was in the birthplace of this great match and this history. It has to be talked about because it's just a bastard of itself. It is. It is. It is. It's as much a bastardization of the War Games match as Russo's vision of pro wrestling was a bastardization of pro wrestling, regardless of whether it worked or not in the periods where it rode the cultural zeitgeist and did not. Yeah. By this point, WCW is a fever dream. It is completely yeah. um, impenetrable. It is completely inscrutable. It is impossible to understand the, 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 the connective tissue that its author saw in these wildly disparate, conflicting, stupid, uh, throw your hands up in the air, twists and turns. And man, do they thread those through this war games as well. Oh, no. Three cages on top of each other isn't enough. It's about the twists and turns. And this is so Russo 2000, oh. this match. I mean, it's called Russo's Revenge for a reason. Yeah, exactly. It's not revenge to the wrestlers. It's right. revenge against the fans. It's getting revenge on fans who allowed themselves to take something like the War Games match seriously. You know? I mean, this is the kind of thing where it only takes four minutes before Russo says, you know, it's fake, right? It's like, yep. these fights aren't real. And it's entertaining. Yeah, the cat. Okay, the cat. What a hoot this fucking guy was in the War Games. Oh, he's the worst. Can we, you know what? You know what I mean? Can, can we can we get an injunction or something? It's Sting, Booker T, Goldberg, and Chronic. Yes, Brian Adams and Brian Clark in street clothes because you know this is the two thousands and this is right. wrestling as entertainment. And Kevin Nash, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, and the fucking Harris brothers, the Blue brothers, fucking Skull and Eight Ball, Ron and Don Harris, idiots. I mean. And Ron and Don Harris. Now, those are teams, ostensibly, but, but the world title's like on the line. Week, it's about the championship, and so everyone's out for themselves. I mean, the title is hanging from the roof above the third cage. If you've ever seen the Ready to Rumble movie. And that's funny, because, you know, I'm about to hang myself from the roof. <laughs> right, right. I, uh, the, the only time I ever wished I was a pro wrestling world title. Yeah, right. Was the War Games 2000. And uh, if you've ever seen Ready to Rumble, you know the triple cage we're talking about. If you've seen the 1988 Great American Bash, you know what we're talking about. Yeah. They used a similar cage for the battle to end Hulkamania, where 
Hogan and Savage at that Uncensored in 1996 took on the whole Dungeon of Doom and their cousins and all their friends. And uh, they had used this triple cage, in fact, at the Slamboree pay-per-view in 2000, which was the follow-up from David Arquette winning the WCW world title. So that's where we're at. And it's kind of interesting, boss, because when we charted this journey, you know, when we were looking at the WWE's War Games DVD release, we penciled in 1988 because we knew there was a War Games 88 on the network. But when we actually turned to the DVD, they went ahead and included the Triple Cage of Doom match from the 88 Bash on the War Doom. The Tower of Doom, sorry. Yes, the Tower of Doom. And that not only is that not a War Games match, they didn't even refer to it as a War Games match on the broadcast. <laughs> so we're like, you know, that's not a War Games. We're not obliged to do that just because WWE put it in its chronology, especially when the Hidden Gem section has an actual house show War Games yeah, on it from 88. Exactly. <laughs> but here we are in 2000 doing the exact same match. Yep. Yep. Because it needs to be done. And it's gonna. it shall be done. Yes. Shoutouts to John Anik. It shall be done on the Art of War Games. Nitro, September 4th, 2000, from Reunion Arena in Dallas, Texas, an arena... Um, I not, do like coming home. Not without its significance here at DLF. Not at all. It's, it's I, a, I couldn't believe Reunion Arena. I was like, fucking Christ. It is a place where shining stars in wrestling come to die. And uh, the know, War Games... When people saw Russo, they realized why they took the class out of World Championship Wrestling. Let's, let's not mince words or waste time... Russo's face, Russo's uh, jersey, uh, New Jersey Devils hockey jersey. He's so fucking. Come stupid. on, what? He's so fucking stupid. Like him coming out there and him like, I'm, I'm like, why are you on TV, bro? Why are you on TV? What the fuck? You no business, no business being on TV. Like, I, it, 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 it. You could very very clearly see that this was like his chance to be this, to be an actor, to be an actor, to be out there and to fucking just perform for people. Right. Guess what? Nobody knows who you are, (laughs) but he was getting heat because he couldn't believe how much they, they, they were marks for his New York accent um in atlanta it's like no dude like no dude they they don't like you there's a difference between getting heat and people not liking (laughs) they don't like that you're on television it means people when you get heat people like to hate you there's a difference people hated you because you're a dick and you're stupid and you're obnoxious Mm -hmm. and nobody knows who you are and he talks in his book, his second book, Rope Opera, how WCW killed Vince Russo. Oh, fuck's sake. About how, you know, this was all a reality check, this concussion and everything for him about, you know, this wasn't his world and perhaps he, he shouldn't try to ingratiate himself into this world or insert Maybe himself. Just stay in the back and write your scripts. No. <laughs> be Quentin Tarantino. Be a bitch. And no, Quentin Tarantino's not a bitch. What I can't figure out is this incredible oscillation he's had looking back at this time between A, I'm going out there despite the fact I have a concussion and really belong, you know, I'm going through terrible bouts of mood swings at home. We've talked about this before. I think we touched on it uh, back on the 99, 2000 Starkid episodes on the Memorial Tour. You know, he's, he's in his house. He can't write TV. He can't focus. He's breaking down in tears watching television shows that otherwise wouldn't have made him cry. He's having a ton of concussion and post-concussion syndrome symptoms. 
He had a match against Ric Flair on Nitro earlier in 2000, took a side Russian leg sweep, and got a concussion. And it didn't, didn't really get better. But his thing is, in the book, you know, I, but you just, I just, I had to do it. Like, I, I was going to, I had to try to succeed. I had to try to do every last thing I could think of to succeed. And so I was putting myself out there nonetheless, even though looking back, I shouldn't have done that. And I shouldn't have, you know, tried to make myself a part of their world. But I just couldn't, I just couldn't help myself because I was trying to succeed and no one was going to stop me. And then if you watch a different set of interviews, like the uh, timeline series he did with kayfabe commentaries on this exact year, if you hear him then, his psychology the whole year was, I want to get the fuck out of this company as soon as possible. I want to find any reason I can to quit or sit out. And I just want this to be done because I saw the writing on the wall that I was being set up to fail. Bischoff still lurking. There are big corporate changes afoot at WCW that will, you know, take away my autonomy. What, what an idiot to think that this was all about him. But, well, it's what, which is it, Vince? You know, are you putting yourself out there on TV every week because you're just trying to throw I mean, everything you can out there because you want to succeed so badly? Or do which you, is it? It depends on the mood. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't have two more opposite bipolar thoughts in describing your state of mind. And it's that conflict, I think, that no small part brings us this War Games 2000 and just the the, the fucking mess that it is. I mean, boss, Dusty throwing elbows on Tully in 87. <gasps> I mean, how far away is this from that? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the furthest away. And am I a mark for pining for those days, or am I someone who knows the difference between good pro wrestling and bad pro wrestling? Uh, you're a mark. Okay. Well, <laughs> definitely the latter. That's what I thought. Definitely the latter. And uh, unlike the 88 Great American Bash, not a 70-foot ladder leaned up against the triple cage so that the combatants could get to the top. Important note, in 88, the match started in the tip-top little small uh, phone booth cage. And you'd work your way down here at War Games 2000. Here, you got to work your way up and work your way down. (laughs) Right, right. Kind of like the ratings on Nitros since Russo got the book. So, you know, Booker T, Nash is actually... The WCW World Champion. This is one of the most damning symptoms of just what, how destructive 2000 was for WCW. I mean, we're literally changing the world title every two and a half weeks. Because why wouldn't you, in Vince Russo's words? Of course. He did the same thing in 99 with the WWF title. Oh, Vince I mean, had 13, it. I think 13 times. 13 times. In, in yeah, WWF, like more than once a month, maybe even more. And so it's going back and forth between Jarrett and Flair and Booker and Nash. And no one cares. Like... I could see doing that if it was working, if it was creating intrigue, if the ratings were telling you that hot-shotting the world title is, you know, a card you need to play. But there's no evidence that that's what people want. There's no evidence that it's changing the tide or interesting yeah. people. It's just what, it's just all, all he knows how to do. It, when, when push comes to shove and he's in a pinch, is to take something that actually means something, that means something, no thanks to his outlook on wrestling, and yeah. just leveraging it for, you know, a little... uh you know, just disrespecting things that mean something to wrestling as heat, you know, and just eventually you run out of things to do in that category. And then you're you're left with your dick in your hand, but <laughs> uh, probably literally because you don't know what else to put yeah. on TV or you put a, a midget stick in his hand inside a trash can in TNA close enough. Oh. But so Nash is the world champion. He had beaten Booker T two weeks before this on Nitro with a powerbomb in the middle. 
after interference involving Jeff Jarrett and company. It's kind of like NWO 2000 boss is still in play here, kind of, but they're not calling them the NWO. But you've got Nash aligned with Scott Steiner and Jeff Jarrett. Russo, kind of the mouthpiece for them, kind of leading the way on the promos. With the way he walks to the ring, that doesn't annoy you, does it? The way Vince Russo walks with his head? There's nothing about him that doesn't annoy me. I mean, what's the problem? (laughs) All wrestling ever needed was a guy who looks like he's got the second biggest booth at the baseball trading card flea market on a Saturday. That's just it. That, that is exactly it. This guy is so fucking New York trash. <laughs> and he knows right. it, and that's heat, bro. I'm uh, trying to tell you, bro, wrestling wrestling is entertainment, it, bro. And it, if- it hurts me that this kind of a fucking ass clown can be in charge of my wrestling. This fucking idiot. I mean, look. What if I don't wonder I wasn't watching fucking WCW at all. Like it was always like you just don't you're you're clinging to the sanctity of something that's fake and you don't realize that no one cares about wrestling unless it's entertaining. But what if I don't find any of it entertaining? Right. And and what if the evidence shows that nobody who used to watch Nitro finds it entertaining either? What then? What I don't what I guess is is so funny to me about so many of these people is either there's an ego or something that they don't sit back and say, Hey, you know what? This isn't working. Maybe I need to, maybe I need to figure something yeah, else out because yeah. what I'm doing is not working. Well, it's a business full of one trick ponies, especially bookers. I mean, they just, they just redo something they did that worked once for the rest of their careers. You know, dusty is as guilty of it as anybody else. He's got like four or five angles that he saw Eddie Graham do or that he participated in putting together in Florida. And he just, you know, inserted new characters and did it and went with it. And, you know, at least in in a few of those cases, it consistently worked because he was on the same wavelength as the fans as far as what they wanted out of wrestling. Here comes Vince Russo in the late 90s, you know, so mad that people keep saying that the only reason he was successful in WWF, or at least a huge part of the reason he was successful in WWF, is you had Vince McMahon at the end of the process. Yeah, no shit. Throwing out this and keeping this and adjusting this. He hates that. That's probably probably the reason he went to WCW. Uh, a big part of the reason he probably went to WCW in the first how place. I hate that when you know it's true? <laughs> well, that's it. You can't accept that it's true. It, because it sounds like it's taking away how the do credit you know that you deserve. How true? He just... Well, he left no doubt. Because he went to WCW... And no one gave a fuck enough to put any finishing touches on what he was doing, or nobody was capable of it. And this is what we got. So, I mean, that he was the guy who turned the WWE around. <laughs> he had a full year, 90, let's say November '99 to October 2000. And I know he had a few months where he went went home, and Kevin Sullivan and Terry Telly, uh, Terry Taylor got the book in early 2000. And he was working, forced to work with Bischoff to some degree. In April 2000, but that only lasted about a month before Bischoff disappeared again, and Russo was pretty much given free reign as a result. There was a couple weeks where he went home and the book was turned over, but look, he had he had the chance, even through TNA, you know, where he was either publicly or surreptitiously involved in the booking. It's just, we know, we know the hand he plays, and uh, that hand and war games don't get along. No. And I think we saw that. I mean, that hand and wrestling don't really get along. <laughs> well, there's that too. But again, my, my, my thought has always been when it's like it needs to be entertaining. It's like, look, no one else thinks this is entertaining. That's the problem. Right. It needs to be 
entertaining. You don't even know what that means. No. You just see somebody who amuses you in the back, probably because they remind you of a stereotype that you observed growing up as a young man in New York, at Long Island, and you just think putting that on TV is going to be money. Like Vito is the, you know, the the, the mafia guy with, with, the, with the leather Kangol hat on and talking about Brooklyn or Queens, whatever the fuck he was talking about. And everyone's like... <laughs> Okay, he's a he's a mobster. That's great. So he's so he's that means he's entertaining. That means we want to see him go for the world title. The cat, Ernest Miller. You know, I don't want to see him do anything. I want to see him leave the business. Yeah, and, that's pretty much it. And I don't I see anyone see who disagrees with me besides Vince Rousseau and Eric Bischoff. I want to see him just you know sitting at home, right? You know, getting drunk. That's what I want to see. So, that's pretty much where we end up. Uh, it's an 18 minute and 45 second match, which if nothing else is about the longest match Vince Russo ever put on television when he was yeah. running Nitro. I mean, we're going to watch this whole episode and dive this whole episode of Nitro boss, quite a departure from the uh, other complete Nitros we've watched oh, on the journey. My God. Are these matches too long for you? Do they even exist? <laughs> it's like two seconds. No, they don't exist because they're fake. They're that's not real a, fights. That's a good point too. I mean, I'm kind of glad because I was actually like, thinking to myself there's actually i gotta tell you there is so much happening so much happens on this show it's non-stop i couldn't really keep track of it yeah it's I didn't not really want to either right because it was so it was so annoying to watch right and like this these fucking these weird and especially those weird backstage vignettes there with oh. russo like being insecure and like i don't need this character development with you <laughs> that's exactly it look if you can get out there and put the right words to what you want to get across in your script and you can get a little heat that's fine but the whole show being built around just like you said the psychology of vince russo and the mind of vince russo it's just like it is so far down the list of things that could ever work in wrestling that I don't even think you can see it from up here. There, there's only one person, there's only one non-wrestler that you can get away with doing that with, and that's Vince McMahon, because because he has a legacy. <laughs> he has a legacy, and part of that legacy is is this idea that he, I mean, he's got many aspects to it, but like, the idea that he was playing this announcer when he was really the boss and kind of ans and quote unquote answer to people on TV the whole time. It's like he was part of our television for years before he became a guy that we wanted to, de to destroy. And the reason we also wanted to destroy him was because much like today, he wasn't really paying attention to us during, during the dark ages of, uh, you know, the early nineties up to the mid nineties, you know, where, where, where he's, he's, he's changing people that, you know, like diesel, the whole diesel thing. And, and all these guys and the stupid cartoony characters like Austin, like we didn't, we didn't see that. It, it's like, it's a different thing because we didn't see the, the, the wheels turning on television. And so we had our own, like, you know, they always say what you don't see is always better is because you let your imagination do the work. And so when you're kind of sitting there getting frustrated at Vince McMahon for not, for, for not really pushing who you want 
or not really recognizing who it is that you want and instead trying to just create another Hulk Hogan, it, it, it makes you angry. And so when, when a Steve Austin comes around and starts beating the shit out of Vince McMahon, it becomes incredible television because Austin is acting out all your frustrations. That is, that takes, that took years of buildup. If, if, if Austin started doing that without all the shit that happened, granted, you know, it's just the way that it was, we wouldn't have had the same reaction. That's right. The bottom line is we were frustrated with Vince McMahon as fans, even if we couldn't put that into words. Mm -hmm. And so when we saw a guy kicking his ass, it worked. This, we're just like watching a guy implode on television. Who cares? Right. And a guy who hasn't been a public personality. Right. Anywhere near enough time to make us give a shit about what he's going through or who's going to kick his ass. I mean, look, I I hate to use the standard all the time, but... You know, Joe Sixpack sits next next to you and watches Raw in 1999 and watches Vince McMahon get thrown all over the building by Steve Austin or whoever. That That's a hoot because they yeah. know Vince McMahon runs the show. They know he's been the, the front man forever. He's been the straight right. man forever. And now he's being sucked into this world where, you know, his his insanity is being laid bare and he's getting his ass handed to him. You you sit that same guy next to you and you watch a nitro in 2000 where this guy from New York in, in a, in a cutoff Yankees Jersey is going on and on about like the politics and the suits and the, it's like, who's this guy? Like, yeah. Like, what is, and also, what is he talking about? (laughs) Exactly. Like, why would I ever care what's about to happen to this guy? Why would I ever care about what he cares about or what he's obsessed with or how he's framing things for me? I mean, why why is he my narrator? This guy looks like just a schmuck, like some why guy. Why am I watching this? <laughs> well, you're not. And I think that, that's part, kind of part of the thing of, why, of how, you know, he's oscillated between this, this, this thing of 2000 was a year of me just sacrificing myself at the altar of doing whatever it could to succeed versus 2000 was a year of me trying my damnedest to not do a single thing, to not lift a single finger and to find a way out of here is because the hardest working stuff uh, that, that he told himself he was doing uh, didn't do ratings. And so what, when it doesn't succeed, you, you revert to, oh, I never gave a shit anyway. You know, you know, you know the deal. You know the psychology. When like you, you try really hard at something and it, it doesn't work and it doesn't catch and you're not connecting, you just act like you weren't trying that hard in the first place. Right. And, and that what you didn't appreciate at home, what, what people, here's what people don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they don't understand it because it's not understandable. So You know why they don't understand it? Because you don't make sense. 18 minutes, 45 seconds, War Games 2000. And uh, if there was anybody mourning this more than wrestling fans when it aired in September 2000, it was probably somewhere in uh, Greater Austin or wherever the hell it yeah. was at the time that the Mac and Dream Dusty Rhodes, the progenitor of the War Games match concept, uh, as we've talked about over the weeks here in the Art of War Games. Um, and as mentioned, um, the WWE, in sitting him down for their War Games DVD compilation, did ask Dusty Rhodes about this 2000 match. And, uh, boss, I'd say uh, something approximating not mincing words here from the Dream. It wasn't a war game. Do you, as a fan, let me ask the fan out there, when you look at the official last, the end of the war games, uh, no, it, 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 uh, it had nothing to do with war games. You can call anything, we're going to, you know, we're going to have a battle, and we're going to call it the war games. 
Okay, we're going to have a double chain match. Two guys in the ring with double chains. These are the war games. We're going to have two divas in there with jacks. And the one that picks up most of the jacks is the winner. That's the war games. So by then, that's just what it became. Just a name. You know what I mean? I still go back and with much excitement. As I actually seen this thing, and you think I'm nuts, but I seen this thing as a person, a breathing live person that was such a part of an era that was on the verge of this greatness that Bischoff took off with, Monday Night Wars. But think about from where it came here to where it is. So what, what, what do you make of Dusty's comments? This idea, I think it's profound, it just became a name. Yeah. Right. War games, that's all right. it was, a name. He was, and he talks about it, all these different examples. Like you could have had, you could have had uh, 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 two women in the ring with a, with a, with a strap and, uh, and they got to, they got to, they got to, they got to tear a, 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 a damn nightstick from the ceiling, baby. And they call it war games. Yeah. You, know, you got two guys yeah. in a cage with dogs all around it, baby. And they got, they got, they got, they got slime coming out of the, coming out of the top <laughs> of the ceiling, daddy, coming down in the, in the ring. They call it war games. <laughs> what else they, what else they call war games, dust? But well, you got you got eighteen men, baby, in one tiny little ring, Daddy. And what they do is then they then they then they then they take barbed wire and they have it wrapped around every single person, Daddy, in there. They drop turkey soup all over the damn place. <laughs> they put fucking sharks around, baby. They yeah, fill they up the, the ringside area with sharks, yes, Daddy. Yes. And they fucking put it in. They put them all in, baby. And the last one to not get eaten by the sharks is the winner, Daddy. That's what they call war games. <laughs> So, well, hey, the shark was in the '95 war yeah, game. Yeah, so, that's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, you can you hear the forlornness in his voice. I mean, you know, Dusty. Oh, yeah. We know Dusty. You know, he picks the he picks the opposite words of what he actually means, but it sounds like poetry anyway. But <laughs> he, he, I mean, I don't know if I'm a mark for this or what, but he saw the war games as he said as a a, a person, yeah. a breathing oh, yeah. live person, and you know. What the fuck? It's one of the biggest stars in WCW because it's one of the most resilient concepts in WCW. It, I mean, again, like I said earlier, it's like it's fascinating watching this through one match. Right. We follow this match throughout all of WCW, JCP, NWA, the whole fucking thing, and watching the world around it change, seeing it evolve. Yes, yes, seeing yes. It, seeing it uh, uh, uh seeing the match stand alone yes. and withstand a lot. And then finally it just, it became too much. It's like the, um, you know what? Hmm. It's like the giving tree. Oh the boy. Story of the giving tree. Oh boy. You know? And at some point the tree has got nothing left to give. Oh my God. And exactly. here we are. Like this is it. This is the end of the giving tree. It was such a part of an era. Dusty said. Yeah. On the verge of this greatness. It had its own era. That's the beauty of that. Yeah. War Games had its own era. And whether you liked it or you didn't like it in, yep. the, in the 90s, yep. the War Game, it had a 10-year era where it was war, where War Games mattered. Where War Games mattered. Well, war form. Games mattered so much that even when 
the people running the company, the brain trust, couldn't care less about the concept and were rather dismissive of it. Kind of uh, not even dismissive, kind of like antagonistic towards it, kind of uh, yeah. hostile towards it. It still, when September rolled around, ended up being what they had to do to have a serviceable yep. pay-per-view for the fall, uh, for at least September. And it's, it, I think that speaks as a testament. You know, when WCW was sold to the WWF in 2001, the, 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 the take-home lesson after several months was that there was millions of wrestling fans, three to five million, maybe three million, two million, whatever the number was, who would watch wrestling every Monday night, who we thought now would watch Raw, and they didn't. They yeah. stopped watching wrestling because it turned out that there were millions of people that preferred the WCW product. I mean, anyone who was left watching Nitro in 2000, that's who you're talking about, which, by the yeah. way, as pathetic as it was at the time, on a household rating perspective, is double the people who watch Raw <laughs> right now. But, of course, I'm sure that's an unfair comparison. Well, that's COVID. I mean, we, you know, we <laughs> okay, fine. COVID. Whatever. So, we COVID-19 <laughs> in America, we live in uncertain, okay. unpredictable, and unprecedented times. Got it. And so, television has changed. Just like just People like have raw, cut the cord. Yep. COVID is un, uncertain, yep. unprecedented, and uncooked. Okay. Television has changed, even though the NFL's ratings have not really changed. incredible amount. Well, I mean, 30 years. I mean, but that, that's, you know, yep. think about it like this. The NFL doesn't have to struggle because they're only on half the year. We're on the entire year. Are you trying so to see our season us. never ends? And I didn't want to come and say that, but yeah, that, <laughs> that is kind of it. Our season never ends. We're always on the road. Right. You know, we don't really get a break. Right. We're always working and working hard. That's for sure. So, you know, so, I mean, I like to think of it, you know, the television landscape is yep. very different than it was in the 80s and in the uh the late 90s, we're talking about thousands of different channels yep. loaded with content. Say distribution, you know, too, please. And, and we, we, you know, and, 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 and you know, different <laughs> entertainment vehicles are being distributed. You know, tons of distribution right. all over the globe. You know, branding and, 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 and commercialism. It's true. And, <laughs> Streaming. And so, really, uh, what? Streaming. Streaming tactics and... and uh, <laughs> We're, we're we are we are trying to create as much content as we can to fill our yeah. own niche and void within the uh, the entertainment uh, uh, okay you know universe. Got it. So and put smiles on faces. We do. We put you know if we put let me tell you this. Mm. If one person watched and we put a smile on that face, that's right. I say job well done. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for that interlude. What I was trying to say was that all those people who stopped watching wrestling. You know, it's hard to it's hard to figure out like what was at the heart of those wrestling fans because were they people that came on board when the NWO exploded and everybody started watching WCW and and just weren't into what was left afterwards the the, the, the embers were they really fans that dated all the way back uh, to the Four Horsemen Halcyon days in the Crockett territory and you know World Championship Wrestling on TBS post nineteen eighty five and Dusty fans and everything and and it's like, because it just seems like two totally distinct eras, the Bischoff WCW, yeah. the Disney MGM WCW, the uh, 12 pay-per-views a year WCW, the Nitro WCW, and, you know, the Saturday Night 605 outgrowth of the good old Georgia Championship wrestling days, you know, this quirky thing that kept uh, Turner's networks high in the weekly average ratings that, you know, did, a, did, did huge shows in the mid-Atlantic region of the country and was... You know, where, where the wrestlers were household names in, in Greater Charlotte and Greensboro. And, 
you know, kind of uh, tried to punch above their weight by going into major cities. But it just seemed like two totally different eras, two totally different fan bases. What yeah. connected them, dare I say, the war games? Dare sure. I say one of the things that they uh, felt was, was missing and, and therefore tuned out of watching wrestling habitually as they had sure. prior to the merger uh, was the war games, or at least that is one of the things you can point to, one of the very, very precious few commonalities you can point to that bridge those two eras, the Crockett and the post-Crockett eras of what we came to know as WCW. And so more than anything, I think the War Games speaks to the desires of a complete uh, segment, a complete cohort of wrestling yeah. fan that just... That just you know what they did they they kind of stopped when we when we declared it no longer being better, you know. Yeah, I mean that that's exactly it. I mean, that's why you know that's one of the many reasons why that is the end of the the good wrestling, right? You know, is because of all that. It's a match where. Babyface Dusty and all he represented to the territories that he headlined in for 20 years, cooked and smoked in 87, in 94. But it's also a match where Sting, who kind of came after that Crockett era, absolutely went balls out. And so Sting mm -hmm. fans and people who embraced that early 90s, that light blue canvas WCW, associate the war games with some of Sting's highest moments of intensity. It's... It's a match where the NWO, um, in 96 in particular, uh, and, and the magic that that storyline was really seeped into the war games. The war games became kind of a perfect forum to forward not only the NWO storyline, but the transformation of Sting, the most lucrative thing yep. that company ever did. Yep. So there's reasons, I think, to think that both cohorts of fans from the late 80s and the 90s saw the war games as kind of central what it was that differentiated WCW and what it was that they felt was missing when not deciding to hitch their wagon to the WWE programming after WCW disappeared. And perhaps no uh, more profound in terms of timing, more than anything else, uh, signifier of that is the fact that in June of 2000, just a few months before this final WCW War Games in September, unceremoniously, as unceremoniously as you could imagine, Saturday night was canceled. Hmm. June 24th. No warning. No goodbye. No last episode looking back on whatever the hell it was. 30 years of Saturday Night Pro Wrestling on WTBS, the Superstation, or WCTG or TCG, whatever it was. I mean, that was that. the show. That was also, if I'm not mistaken, that, that was the show World Championship Wrestling, correct? That turned into WCW Saturday Night in the 90s? That's right, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's what. A, that's that's the legacy right there. That's, that's right. it. Yeah, the whole when Turner bought the bought Crockett, he renamed the whole organization after the name of the television show. Yeah. They after it was Georgia Championship until Crockett bought the time in '85, and then they wanted to use that, obviously being a national platform, to match Vince's national platform. So they renamed the organization World. Uh, pardon me. They renamed the television show from Georgia Championship uh, to World Championship Wrestling. And then we're off to the races. So the seed is planted for what would eventually become the identity of the whole company. But the fact that it gets canceled and no one denotes it, nobody recognizes its significance. Nobody is left to say, hey, uh, this is kind of a big deal, guys. This is kind of like yeah. the only reason this company exists. This is kind of like as institutional to this to this company as, as Monday Night Raw was to the WWF. And it's almost like 
it would be equivalent to what Monday Night Raw would be to the WWE today. Right. You know, in 2000, it was that. But Raw had only been on the air for seven years in 2000, so it would be a poor analogy. It would be like today, having a final Monday Night Raw and nobody hmm. taking the time to recognize how pivotal yeah. it had been to the existence yeah. of the organization. Damn. And, you know, we've... God, we, we started the Art of War games, the first matches, some absolute magic promos on that Saturday night television show. Yep. And, and, what, and what, what, what tickled the ball so much was not that they were pushing the pay-per-view like we were so accustomed to. They, they were trying to talk you into the arena. Right. They were going on national television and cutting a promo designed to target one city on that night where you were supposed to believe that they were racing from the studio over to the arena the Omni in Atlanta, July 4th, 1987, mm. to do battle on this new concept called the War Games. And what a treat it was to see that prior era, pre-pay-per-view mm. era way of promoting wrestling and taste why it was better on every conceivable front. Yeah. To just imagine, you know, the, those summer Great American Bash tours and the energy that the TV could create because the top stars were just pointing to those destinations. They had, you know, quick matches Say what you will about whether it, you know, qualified as programming that could have held its own or a programming style that could have held its own in the way mm -hmm. wrestling evolved in the Monday Night Wars. Of course mm -hmm. it couldn't. But it doesn't mean we can't savor a moment when that was not only enough for wrestling fans, that was, that was their whole world, those kind of shows. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. 
At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. The way that style of television, wrestling television, brought along and created the initial aura of the war games was a pleasure to document. And we get to 2000, Absolutely. and there's no slow burn. No. There's no seeds planted. You know, this is the thing about, this is what I find to be, I find so fascinating about all the journeys we do. They don't end up well. They don't end up nice. They don't end up in a happy place. They all end up telling us something about wrestling, not just the the subject matter. And that's wrestling will always leave you feeling like a fool (laughs) for believing in something more than the people who have their fingers on the controls believe right. in it or the people who ultimately end up with their fingers on the control because dusty Rhodes cared a lot about the concept it's clear when he had the book this match was held held in the esteem it should have been and, and its special specialness was was protected but the larger lesson about the business is those kinds of people eventually will go from their passion being the reason something thrives to their passion being the reason everything's being held back. Their passion yeah. being the reason that we're not graduating to the next step because somebody else smells blood in the water, wants yeah. power, and has to position themselves to get that power as in direct contrast to the psychology that's running the organization at, at the time. So you have to almost go to the exact opposite to convince you know people, particularly in the corporate structure the WCW found itself operating in, to get into that seat of power. And so any uh, any symbol of that last regime is necessarily going to be either watered down or discarded. And so we get to the point where Saturday night is canceled and no one cares. The War Games comes back and no one cares. Or at least it's not built up with any particular anticipation. It's just, you yeah, know. How, what was the, uh, how far in advance did they promote this match? Just a couple of weeks. We, yeah. I can't tell you the exact day, actually, but I think that's the point. Because, you know, Russo's Nitros were so self-contained. They were so designed to just keep people stuck on TV for two hours and just not give them a chance to let their attention wander. You know, it's like, you know, it's kind of funny because all people did was wander. Yeah, they wondered. No one fucking paid attention. They wondered what the hell is going on. But, you know, it's such a um, I I don't know if he's wrong about this or not, but I think he's just as often wrong about this as he was right, that it's not some uh, some rule written in stone. Yeah that the wrestling fan will only watch something for so long before they want to look somewhere else. And when it's head-to-head competition, as opposed to right now, except on Wednesday nights, that makes a lot of sense, too. This idea that, like, we can't afford to let people shift their attention because they actually will change the channel and watch the competition. And so suddenly what you have is a style of television where the second it looks like something's reaching a point where traditionally in wrestling and in any sport, you'd get a slowdown, you'd get a lull, 
You'd get a time to catch a breather. He just accelerates past that point and goes right to the finish and goes right to a backstage segment and then right to another and then another twist and then another heel turn and then another belt exchange and another weapon shot. We'll say boom, 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 boom. The second we arrive at that natural organic point where things might have to slow down a little bit and things might have to breathe and sink in. What's the problem with that? Freaks out. Freaks out. And it's like, I just think there's as much evidence that that's not what the wrestling fan wanted as there was evidence that it was what they wanted. And I know this idea that you're playing past the wrestling fan, but that's such bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, why do people get excited to watch wrestling? Because they watch a wrestling show and wrestling fans are going nuts. Right. Exactly. Get the people to go nuts and you'll pull Uh. in people because it looks like you're missing something that's worth getting invested in. If you're not going to pop the people in the building, you're not going to get people to watch the fucking television. Right. Exactly. You're not going to get a segment that does a massive rating and everyone in the building is silent. It doesn't happen. And if you buy a ticket to go to the arena, you are a wrestling fan. Or you've been dragged along and forced to go. <laughs> well, yeah. And so you're not going to contribute to the noise in the building anyway. You've got to play to the ticket buyer. That's what draws ratings. To see excitement and hoopla. To see people responding to something. Then you don't have to... It's not such an investment. It's not such a plunge. To, to actually consider what's interesting about this thing. You can see yeah, that... I, I like seeing fans in, on their television screens. <sighs> That's much better. Yeah. I mean, we, we feel depressed enough coming to the year 2000. Let's not go to 2020 yeah. and consider where we stand. That was 20 years ago. Think of that. <sighs> Think of that 20 years ago. Worldwide, also an institution of that era of WCW NWA disappears as well. In 2000. And this is all amidst a slate of budget cuts that WCW was doing that were really, really hardcore. I mean, second, pardon me, the second half of 2000 is just your Brad Was Siegel. Thunder still on? Yes, but it was canceled as well, soon enough. What they started, they started shifting around the taping, so they taped all their TV in one night. They stopped going on the road again for house shows because they just weren't drawing at house shows. And they start cutting all kinds of costs. They start cutting so much of the roster to get that salary down because, you know, with the structure of their contracts, they're still paying out, but the money isn't coming in. It's so amazing. It's so amazing to me that WCW's product is so bad, is so bad that even the success of the WWE, who's having one of their best years ever, their best year, their best year could not like the, 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 the success, the, the desire just couldn't even bleed over the interest. Couldn't bleed over nothing. It's like WCW already died. Yeah. Yeah. It really is. It really is like that. And, um, and it's, it's just a stunning, it's a stunning like, uh, exercise in like, what do you like about this stuff? Well, you're going to get the opposite. And you're going to get the opposite. And you're going to get the opposite. And you're going to like it. It's like, no, I'm not. You're wrong. I'm not going to like it. Yes, exactly. What you sit there and tell yourself is cliche about wrestling and old hat. And need, and so, therefore, we need to do the opposite. Is exactly why I'm watching this show. Mm-hmm. And if the, the moments and the junctures and storytelling come where I expect to get a certain kind of outcome where I expect to see a certain culmination and you just use that as fodder to try to confuse me and redirect me again and make me feel like, I don't know what the hell I'm watching because 
things that, yeah, they're unpredictable, but they truly don't point to something that would make me want to watch ever again happen over and over again. It's called blue balls. Pretty soon mm. you stop being victimized that way and you stop caring. I mean, the characters are just like, they don't even know whose side they're on every week. Most of these yeah. characters, they, they change allegiances for no other reason than to surprise you and swerve you. Who the fuck wants to watch a wrestler who can't decide if he's a heel or a face every single week? I mean, or every two weeks. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to watch that. That's not interesting. That, that's the opposite of interesting. It just, it just, it's so funny because with this undertow of like, it's all fake. So we have to just go for the, go for the most entertaining thing. The most fake thing is when guys turn like this over and over oh, again. I know. The most fake thing is when the title changes hands like this, this much. I mean, that, that's I mean, what makes you think this sport, is all bullshit. You know, any, any combat sport, how often do the titles change? Yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah. You, like in the UFC, like the idea that like titles change hands, like these guys, they fight, all, change hands all the times. So they fight three times a year. They fight three times a year. Title can change hands three times a year, not three times a month. And you take all kinds of time between those title defenses to build up the aura of the fighter, to make you feel like he is a champion that may never be dethroned or a fighter with... Unique skills. And the fact that the title is hard to hang on to becomes part of the lore of how, you know, hyper-competitive the, the organization is yeah. and how committed they are to putting the best fighters against the best fighters and not setting people up with easy wins. Yeah. And so when a guy does go on a streak of title defenses, it's, it's that special. And it's not every three weeks the title changes hands. And so that's what it would be like if it was a shoot. Like, no, if it was a shoot, these guys wouldn't even compete more than right. two or three times a year. So if you need more symbols from the heavens that something is dying here in 2000, it's not just the end of Saturday night. It's not just, you know, Dusty lamenting what the War Games match has become. It's also the passing in 2000, just a month after this match, actually, the War Games 2000, of the man who did the actual labor, the man who put his hands to steel, put the welding mask on, and turn Dusty Rhodes's uh, concept. You mean the uh, the man who would watch the shit fall from underneath the, uh, <laughs> the coffee co table. That's correct. Shit rolls downhill right into the mouth of Klondike Bill. I don't want shit in my mouth. With his dick in his hand. Yeah. Klondike Bill dies. You no, know, I died. Let me tell you, I died uh, with my dick in my hand, and I died with. I had a woman who was shitting in my mouth. So I died in heaven. I died in heaven. He died in heaven. And we thank him for constructing the War Games cages. All those years, he took Dusty's idea as laid out on a piece of paper in the parking lot of Jim Crockett's offices one night and uh, made it into an actual cage that uh, was set up twice in 87 and then carried across the country in 88 for like 26 different dates. All... You know, jury rigged as it got dinged up and busted. Do you ever choke on shit? <laughs> I guess you could say I have, yeah. Well, I, that's how that's what happened. I choked on shit. I shit missed. my mouth and it went down the wrong pipe. You know. And that's what, that's what happened. He died October 3rd, 2000 at the age of 68 yep. after battle, battling a neuromuscular disorder. Yeah, I didn't want to say that I choked on shit. Because I just, you know, can't put that in a newspaper. Fortunately for him, he did not he choke died, on... He died with feces in his mouth. <laughs> you know, 
Not even an Atlanta paper one put that in the damn thing. He did not die with pieces of the 72-ounce steak he ate in 1965 at the Big Texan Steakhouse <laughs> to set a Guinness record. <laughs> How big was this piece of beef? 72 ounces. Many wrestlers uh, would collect that. on that, but he did it twice at one sitting. Holy shit, I couldn't do that. So, uh, Klondike Bill, um, the guy who actually, you know, made the War Games cage physically come together, passes away here in 2000. And uh, we turn... Probably watched a tape of this match. Probably. <laughs> yeah, that probably was last draw. I wonder if he did watch the War Games 2000. We turn to the Charlotte Observer, our old... Uh, New source of comfort, our source of truth. I didn't for know the Charlotte wrote the Observer. <laughs> yeah, October fourth, two thousand. Mister William Klondike Bill Solowayko, age sixty-eight, of Charlotte, died October third, two thousand, at his residence. A memorial service will be held Thursday. Mister Solowayko was born December first, nineteen thirty-one, in Saunders, West Alberto, Canada. <laughs> Alberto, Canada. Alberto del Rio, Canada. <laughs> Son of the late Andrew and Sophie Irbachok Solowayko. Mr. Solowayko trained in Calgary, Canada as a wrestler with Stu Hart and started his wrestling career with Mr. Hart in the 1950s and wrestled all over the United States, Australia, Japan, China, and India. He never wrestled in India, and I'm sure he never wrestled in Japan either. He wrestled for Jim Crockett Promotions and later worked at Crockett Ballpark as a groundskeeper. After Ted Turner purchased Jim Crockett Promotions, he became equipment manager for Worldwide Championship Wrestling. Mm. That's it. Worldwide Championship Wrestling. <laughs> Just WWCW. Just all kinds of like who cares errors, even in his own. Listen, I told you right now. You fucking write this shit. You don't have to listen. All right. My higher ups are forcing me to tell you to write this this article about this fucking buffoon who died. All right. I don't think it's worth it. I don't think he did anything significant. But you got to do it. Now, here's what I'm going to say. You do, you know, you have as don't don't research. I don't need you to research. Just fucking write it, put it up so we can throw it in the fucking paper somewhere. I don't need you to research. Just 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 make it up as you go along, and make sure you write that this guy did nothing real. All right, this 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 Dyke Bill, whatever the fuck is. <laughs> All right, you t you say that Dyke Bill yep. is a bitch, mm -hmm. and that nothing he did mattered, nobody really cared, and he can go fuck himself. Put All that right. in. <laughs> if you don't type it, I'm going to type it. Well, we'll. Did you list what? We'll do something like that. Okay. No, no, no. Don't do something like that. Do that. Do you want me to kick your ass? <laughs> Are you? I'm sorry, I can't hear you. Are you whispering, boss? Kick my ass. Yes. Oh, you are. All right, great. Come here. Come here. <laughs> fucking shit. Come here, you fucker. I'm going to beat the shit out of you, and then I'm going to make, make you eat your fucking computer, you fucking piece of garbage. <laughs> eat my computer? Write it. Write it. <laughs> write what? Write it, you fucking piece of Just work. tell me what to write. Write it. Write what? Write what I say. What do you say? What? <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. I'd be glad to write it. Just fucking write it. I'm not time for this. If Klondike Bill... Well, 
Here, here's what Jerry Hostetler, who would write the feature obits for the Charlotte Observer, this is how she took those directions from her erstwhile boss, October 21st, 2000. Headline, if Klondike Bill gave you a hug, you were hugged. From the ring that wasn't round to the I diamond feel about that. that didn't glitter, Klondike Bill was the man who got the job done. William Solowaco, known as Klondike Bill, and his lengthy wrestling career, later was groundskeeper at the old Crockett Park baseball diamond. He died October 3rd at his Charlotte home. He was 68 and died of Bulbar palsy, a rare form of ALS disease. His ferocious persona and six foot, 365 pounds. What's that? Blubber palsy? Bulbar. B-U-L-B-A-R. Yeah, I'm not sure what that is. In stature in the ring, hid the soft teddy bear that was really Bill Solowaco. He was the most easygoing person I've ever known in my life, said his daughter, Thane Brigadman. What? Thane Brigadman? Thane Brigman. Thane Brigman. Thane Brigman. <laughs> Let's think about that. I know he's from Canada. I know he's fucking weird. <laughs> but he thought it was a good idea to call his daughter Thane Brigman. Sounds like Laura Brevetti's uh, husband. <laughs> I liked his bear hug. He was known for that. He'd pick them up and squeeze the heck out of them. He did a lot of picking up and squeezing in his career. <laughs> yeah. And he did it all over the globe and all over the living room. He traveled all over the United States, Australia, Japan, China, and India. He was Hawaiian champion in 1968. Of what? The Hawaiian territory, I guess. Big 50, uh, 50th state. state. <laughs> he was the Luau champion. That's right. He was the... No one could eat a pig. Better than fucking Klondike Bill. And is a member of the Canadian Hall of Fame. His appetite wasn't in the Hall of Fame, but it did make the Guinness Book of Records. When wrestling in Amarillo, Texas in 1965... Really in there? His appetite is not in the Hall of Fame? (laughs) Yep. I can't. It did make the Guinness Book of World Records. When wrestling in Amarillo, Texas in 1965, you ordered a steak at the Big Texan Restaurant in Opry. It offered a 72-ounce steak free to anyone who could eat it, plus all the trimmings in one hour. Bill ate two of them. Nine pounds of beef. That gastronomical feat later made it into the Wall Street Journal, which noted that the steaks... That, 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 that gastronomical feat also made its way into the toilet <laughs> at some point. <laughs> right. Can you God imagine the level happen. four hazmat situation? <laughs> Can you imagine the shit that came out from eating nine pounds of steak? I don't know what the code is for, like, shit on the on the police radio, but it was uttered. Oh, yes. On it those frequencies. Yeah. It was screamed. Oh, my God. We got a shutter! <laughs> Cop- we got a shutter! Copy. <laughs> on a medical. That's how they say it on the Boston Fire. Uh, we got uh, two seven feet Dodgers Boulevard automatical. Uh, we got we got we got a shit out here on the automatical. Yeah. That those steaks were equivalent of forty six Big Macs. Just want you to know. <laughs> take some take it take a minute to think about a Big Mac and then think about forty six of them. Bill quit wrestling about nineteen seventy eight and started his groundskeeper at Crockett Park. Yeah, that's reading that shit. You're damn right. <laughs> Home of the old Charlotte O's. He later joined Jim Crockett's ring crew that set up the wrestling rings for road matches. Ted Turner bought the promotions in 1987. No, he didn't. Created World Championship <laughs> Wrestling, and Bill became a road agent. He was big and solid, 
and he had a heart of gold, said his wife, Adrienne. Everybody loved him. I never found that out until he passed away and the emails started coming in. I never knew anyone liked my husband. She described the... Yeah. Knew he, I, I just knew that he liked to ha- he liked to watch me go to the bathroom <laughs> for some reason. And he asked me to just... He, he'd say, don't flush right away. I want to take a look at it. Right. I didn't understand why until I got a lot of emails from a lot of hookers who apparently he he liked them shitting on 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 glass tables. Emails. I think they're gonna put that in an email. Hi, my name is my name is Candy. I'm from Fairfax, Virginia. I knew your husband well, and I'll never forget. I'll never forget the splatter. I'll never forget how he, he wanted me to me when I had diarrhea that one time. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was weird that he liked this, but I thought it was especially weird that he demanded that as the shit was coming out, I shout, oh my God, I'm shitting. It seemed especially weird when, when he had me shout out, oh my God, a Klondike is coming out of my ass. <laughs> what would you do? Oh my God, a Klondike <laughs> is coming out of my ass. TLF Art of War Games Klondike Bill. Uh, he's you know he's kind of a low key hero of the Art of War Games, isn't he? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. We haven't spent a lot of time on him, and thanks to Tony Schiavone, we know about his predilections. And yes. precious little more is known about him. It's a goddamn shame, a goddamn tragedy that and he was. I, I thank him. I thank Klondike Bill for 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 putting together war games and and also for writing Game of Thrones. <laughs> what? He looks like Jay. He looks like George George R. R. Martin. (laughs) (laughs) At one time we saw him. I was like, oh, look, there's George R. R. Martin. Oh, man. She described a years ago incident with Rusty Loudermilk, a youngster in a wheelchair. Is that the brother of Elliot Loudermilk in in Scrooged? (laughs) Maybe. I'm sure... uh, Bill used to call him Rusty Buttermilk. <laughs> he had failing grades, and my husband talked to him, told him to study and bring his grades up. The boy, now 32, did, and credits my husband with that. Oh, Jesus. He was really a person who had no ego at all, said Charlie Noggle. This guy is surrounded by some fucking buttes in terms of names. <laughs> these, guys, these guys all sound like they're bottom-of-the-barrel feeders. You're going to die a legend... If the people you know and who are closest to you are named Charlie Noggle, Rusty Loudermilk, and you name your your, your daughter Fane Bregman. Well, Fane. Fane. She gets the whole fucking treatment. Fane Bregman. He really was a person who had no ego at all. He never would talk about himself. You'd never find out what he did. He wouldn't tell you. (laughs) I wonder why. Yeah. He was the best neighbor. If he went on vacation, we'd come come home and find the grass cut and the driveway blown. We come home find the, the grass cut too. <laughs> we come home and find the grass cut and fertilized, and the driveway blown. Because uh, he had a fucking party with about eighteen hookers, and he had them shit in your lawn. Once, when Charlie was cutting down a tree and and a log, <laughs> it leaned dangerously toward his house. Bill came over, got the guide wire, and nearly pulled the tree down by himself. I got it. I'll go get it, and I'll go take care of that. He was a man of great strength, Charlie said. I've got it. He was gentle, so kind and understanding, Adrian said. I am a gentle giant. Even without the big gaudy WCW champ's belt, he was, all the same, a world champion. 
eat shit. <laughs> Klondike. Well, sounds good. <laughs> Klondike Bill, we uh, we say goodbye. And again, a goddamn shame that he was never interviewed at length about putting together the War Games cage. Yeah, I'm right. I mean, what the fuck? I don't like that Dusty could run away with the narrative of where the idea came from because it was just him and Klondike Bill and Jim Crockett that were party to the uh, the late night discussions, right? That led to the breed- the breeding of the match. And Klondike Bill was interviewed in his wrestling career. He, you know, the Canadian wrestling media, which is always fantastic, would do yeah. pe- did some pieces on him. But I've never seen anywhere him being asked about this uh, seminal contribution to wrestling history. And uh, it's a goddamn shame. And uh, if anybody knows uh, Klondike Bill's side of the uh, war game story in terms of how he put it together, you know, like, it's one thing to, for Dusty to describe it. But what the hell? Right. You know, like, how do you fucking build the war games you, cage? Right. I mean, how do you come up with that? It, it, how, do you, it, how do you, like, rig it up to the ceiling? dream and, and, and make it real? Yeah. Yeah, it's a real blind spot in the history of this match that I don't appreciate. Yeah. Um, he did have a match in 1963 against Ricky Dozan in Japan. That was before a huge really? television audience in prime time. Yeah. Wow, good for him. He was brought in as the brute, billed as one of the strongest men in the world. Mm. So he did uh, He did travel far did they and wide. Did they appreciate his steak-eating qualities? I think, <laughs> I think they did, actually. Oh, good. The stakes were high when Klondike Bill was in the room. Yeah, and low. So uh, he was a friend of Cal Ripken Jr. Uh, because the Charlotte Orioles was, were the, the minor league team for the Baltimore Orioles based out of Crockett Park. And uh, Cal Ripken Jr. was beginning his career at the time that uh, Klondike Bill was the groundskeeper there. And, huh. um, yep, he was working there when he met Sandy Scott, who was working in the front office for Jim Crockett. And he was hired to set up and take down the ring, carry it from city to city, and the rest is history. So... It's poetic that he dies in 2000, just as the War Games dies, for all intents and purposes. Yeah, seriously. So we got Vince Russo, 2000, uh, commenting on 2000 to Gayfabe Commentaries. I was so disconnected with the product. I was so miserable. I could have cared less. If somebody would have hit the locker room with a nuclear... He could have? He could have cared less? (laughs) Doesn't seem like it. If somebody would have hit the locker room with a nuclear bomb, I probably would have been happy. The worst depression of my life. I wanted it to end, and I didn't care how it ended. Whatever the ending was, I wanted it. I wanted the end to come. That's really what I cared about. I think he got it done, boss. Yeah, I'll say. As far as the war games goes, I think he got it done. So, as said, he just, he had suffered a concussion, so that's why he's wearing the, the helmet in this thing. And uh, in the match itself, he gets uh, his brain scrambled again when Ernest Miller comes in and throws the only kick of his wrestling career that actually looked good. And uh, lands a head kick to the head of Vince Russo, and he takes it stiff and uh, gets his bell rung. So uh, he didn't end up uh, attending the next Thunder, Russo, due to, uh, due to some trauma here, or not feeling well after oh. uh, another go-round in the match. And uh, here is the state of play as far as the Monday Night Ratings Wars went. Okay. This is September 4th. Both shows were going on a post. Raw was actually on a time delay that night. Um, and Nitro at the time had gone to two hours, and it had moved from eight to ten. Were the uh, tennis? Uh, would have been yeah, September, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of first Monday in September, Labor Day. That's right. Which is usually when the tennis thing's happening. That probably was no smart, small part of why they they trotted out the War Games because this was you know as the first Nitro, best foot forward, no raw competition or at least head to head competition. Let's uh, play some strong hands here. Um, ended up doing a uh, raw did a four point two four rating. And a 9.7 share, while Nitro did a 3.62 rating. 
And for the time, that's exceptionally Jesus. close. <laughs> that's very close for the time. Uh, the Broncos... 3.62? 3.62. Wow. Yeah, I mean, the, most of 2000, it was much, much further apart. So, again, the resilience of the War Games concept still... It's, it refuses to die. It refuses yeah, to not see, make a difference. Like, Look, watch me. Absolutely. And then they're like, oh, this isn't War Games. This is a bit show. At the time, it was the second highest Nitro rating of the year. Um, but again, was would unopposed. Have been higher? Uh, and, and, and in 2000? Yeah. I don't know. The, the first uh, Russo, Bischoff, Nitro, where they reset the whole company in April, was a really big deal. It was probably something on that show, would be my guess. Okay. But I don't know off the top of my head. Um, the War Games main event going over two segments drew a 4.27 rating at the time, according to The Observer, which was the second highest rated match of the year from WCW behind Hogan versus Flair. Okay, I take it back. Here it is. Hogan versus Flair uh, on February 14th at 4.36. Wow. Uh, interesting note on that. That was uh, th- during the period of time when Russo no longer had the book and had gone home after suggesting Tank Abbott win the WCW world title. That was the last draw. So uh, Sullivan got the book and just, you know, turned the clock back to 1994 and just had and it, it worked. red and yellow Hogan versus Flair. Uh, and it again. worked. Apparently it, well, it, <laughs> no, it didn't. It was fucking wretched and it was awful. But uh, on that night, when they put those two in the ring one-on-one, it did work. But that was uh, that, that hurt even more than the Russo Nitros to me, watching it week to week, if you can imagine. That three-month period in 2000 where we literally turned the clock back 15 years, just wow. like that. It was just, it couldn't have been a more jarring shift from the three months of, uh, of Russo insanity that we had uh, been party to in October, November, and December of 99, culminating, of course, with uh, that unbelievable Starcade that we've talked about. They, I'll tell you, WCW really lost me when when they when they put Hogan back in the red and yellow. Yeah, why? Oh, I just was like, this is like, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I yep. remember. Yep. I don't know how I saw, but I remember seeing him like, I was like, what? He's gone back to the red. How can he go back to the red and yellow? After all he's done as a leader of the NWO, how can he go back to the red and yellow? Yeah, yeah that was easy. Well, he had just turned babyface in early 99. He stayed Hollywood Hogan. You know, he still had the, the black and white on. Yeah. But he's pretty much just doing the red and yellow routine. And just one week, they're like, what the fuck, right? It'll get a pop. Let's just have the red and yellow Hogan come out again. And they went with it for several months, for about half a, you know, six months. So weird. It was very weird. And I, I agree. It was kind of like a capitulation. It's like, we've got nowhere else to go. We're just like, it's come to the point where our idea for Hulk Hogan is to put him back in, in the red and yellow. You know, that that's the next step here. And Russo did something crazy with him in the Millionaire's Club angle where he fought Billy Kidman and was dressed up in street clothes. Russo was all about taking the legends and, in his mind, protecting them by covering them in, in street clothes on television and never having them actually have to wear tights and matter. Oh, nice. There it is. Remember You're when really Ric Flair right won the title with an inside cradle wearing loafers, slacks, oh, and an Armani God. T-shirt? I mean... I don't, thank God. <laughs> like, that's, that's not good television. That's not... Um, that's that's not protecting. That's ruining shit. Like, I, I know Ric Flair didn't look great in tights, but look, <laughs> looked a lot better than he looked, uh. He looked he looked fine in tights. He looked fine. Like, who gives a fuck? Like, first of all, who gives a fuck? Because if there are a million people that Rose look great, they're wearing tights. Oh my god, can wear tights. There are a million guys, and you and you did. You could put in the ring that look great in tights that no one will ever give a shit about. Because, you know, if you take the time to look that good in tights and you, you become so myopic to look that good in tights, pretty soon that's the only fucking thing you are. That's your whole identity. 
is the lifestyle and the, the psychology it takes to maintain that look, which is not in keeping with, I don't know, developing a personality that makes for good television, right? Developing an instinct that makes you actually an intriguing performer to watch, a charisma. Yeah. You know, it's the opposite. It's it's just minding your physique all fucking day like anyone gives a shit. Like, you can't see a dime a dozen fucking bodybuilder on any street corner in this country. But anyway, um, that, 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 was the, uh, that was the Nitro rating situation on this particular night, and it was a big one for them. The final quarter at 4.83, according to The Observer, was the highest quarter hour rating for the year of Monday wow. Nitro. War Games does it again, boss, even a bastardized version of it. Jesus. A number that actually beat out every quarter hour on Raw. And again, Raw was preempted, so that's not too impressive. But for WCW, it was the closest thing to a win that they would have discerned for weeks and weeks and weeks at that point in time. Um, and, you know, Russo had got a lot of hype when he started in October 99. And when he came back in April 2000 with Bischoff. And so those big hyped up resets of WCW did do uh, higher numbers than WCW was doing in the run-up to those. But when you look at the greater overall averages in terms of taking, let's say, the Kevin Sullivan run in early 2000 or the run uh, before uh, Russo uh, came in in 99, pretty much all evened out. You know, his shows on average were just about the same ratings points-wise as as any other particular regime, and in some cases slightly lower. Um, Let's see. Uh, let's see. The heavily criticized dish of Nitro on September 11th. Yes, the week after this, they they hype it. The wedding between Stacy Keebler and David Flair, boss. Oh God! Rick Flair comes back to the to the company with spiked hair because uh, he was coming off the the angle where Vince Russo shaved his head on Nitro. Uh, that did a high rating uh, because the Horsemen. I don't know their their old hat, right? Arn Anderson in there is the best man. That's not what people want to see. So they want to see them kick ass. Still works in 2000. Can you imagine? Still the only thing moving numbers. The same thing it's always been, the Horseman. Um, so that was the, uh, the, the highest rating for the show in its regular opposed format since January, the week after this War Games show, when uh, Flair comes back and they do the, uh, the wedding angle. Interestingly enough, you know where that was going? The wedding thing? Where? Okay. Uh, David Flair and Keebler were going to get married. Uh, Vince Russo was going to announce that he was the father of Stacy's baby. Uh, she was pregnant. Of course. Not, not David Flair. There was also talk of making... Uh, Rick himself, the father. But uh, ultimately, what I think happened, and I, I don't know if Russo misremembered it in the, in the kayfabe commentaries interview or not, because he gave credence to both things. Uh, the idea that ultimately it would be Ric Flair saying that Stacy Keebler was actually Ric Flair's daughter from a one-night stand 20 years ago. Oh, th- my God. And so the whole time, David Flair was, was fucking his sister. But the, that can't be true if... if you know, that, that's almost like... No, actually, if Flair was going to be the father of the baby, then Flair, in that world, then, then Flair was fucking his own daughter, which was not the idea. So to me, necessarily, Russo has to have you been. You sure? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. It, it, was, it, was, it wasn't beyond the realm of possibility that it was considered, but uh, I think that's where um, the Russo deal comes in. But he said in the kayfabe commentary shoot, which I think was done in 2014 or 15, that it was yeah. going to be Rick that was going to be the father of, of the baby. But the idea never seemed to be that, that David would hate Rick for fucking Stacy Keebler. You know, it wasn't like... Because the natural extension of that is that's Why the storyline. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you know, if, any, if, any, if anyone's dad fucked their wife. Right. It's just natural. 
It's the way of the world. That's what the algorithms on every porn website tell me. <laughs> Over the uh, 22 opposed shows since Russo returned to writing TV, yeah. compared to the range of Sullivan's era, there were two shows that beat Sullivan's past best and eight shows which drew ratings lower than Sullivan's worst. Oh, Jesus. Um, so that's kind of the, 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 the status of things. And we see here Booker T. Positioned strongly. You know, Vince Russo uh, definitely put his weight behind making Booker T the world champion and the, you know, the guy in the company. And it was a circuitous situation, and it was tough. Don't forget, yeah. uh, you know, this is just a couple of months after the infamous Bash at the Beach 2000 incident, where uh, Hulk Hogan leaves in a huff after Jeff Jarrett lays down for him. And Jarrett's then, already been champion 18 times, right? Uh, 25. Oh. 25-time champ at this point. And... Uh, and so Booker, of course, at the end of that pay-per-view, beats Jeff Jarrett to kind of reset, create a new world champ uh, with, you know, no particular notion of how and when Hogan's going to come back. Of course, Hogan ultimately fell double-crossed because Russo goes in the ring after Hogan leaves the building as part of this work shoot, pretending to be all pissed off that Jeff Jarrett laid down for him and didn't do an actual match with him because he was so mad that Hogan wouldn't job to him. Hogan leaves the building. Russo grabs the mic and says a whole lot of defamatory things about Hulk that Hulk uh, later claims he never signed off on, and thus it's a violation of his contract and defamation. Uh, well, I wasn't digging creative, dude. <laughs> clearly. I said that, brother. I'm not digging creative, dude. And you get creative behind my back, brother. I mean, you might as well roll me up, dude. <laughs> Your Honor, he got creative behind my back. <laughs> brother, I'm suing... I'm uh, Brother, I'm going to sue Vince Russo for for uh, 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 being creative behind my back and for 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 being creative against the law, dude. And lack of creativity, brother. <laughs> well, that's one thing you can't accuse him of. That's one thing that's not going to stand up in a court and, of law. And for, for going through with creative that I wasn't digging, brother. <laughs> you're just digging a hole. I dig nothing, dude. So if you're wondering where Hulk Hogan, who kind of has become a Somewhat important part of the uh, post NWO war, no, not the uh, the post Bischoff war games, is at this point in time in WCW. He's still under contract, but he would never be seen again um, because of that uh, July 2000 incident. And so, again, that's kind of like the rather unfortunate set of circumstances that um, precedes Booker T's first WCW world title win. And then he goes on to the New Blood Rising show, which is in the archives, a real fun episode, and he beats uh, Jeff Jarrett in the main event there. Then he loses the title. I, no, that, I don't even remember doing that show. Oh, my God. New Blood Rising? Yeah. Oh, that was a lot even, of fun. I know. It was, I remember it being a lot of fun. I remember, like, shitting on it like crazy, but I don't remember seeing Booker T win the championship. Yeah, because that's how much it mattered. I guess that is the truth. Do you remember he gave Jared a bookend off the apron through a table on the floor? Kind of. Maybe. Um, or when Mike Awesome hits Vampiro with a super power bomb off the top rope, and Vampiro is so clumsy about taking a taking it that he gets concussed or I remember uh that. and i'd remember and i and i would remember vampiro getting his ass kicked <laughs> yeah for sure um but anyway for booker you know they they tried to do a few coronations with him and it just it was always so in a morass of a million other things going on at the same time that he he never really felt like he had the focused moment. The finishes were right. always weird and shit. And, uh, and yeah, so he loses the title to Nash on Nitro two weeks before this War Games. The, the belt is put up in this War Games. And then ultimately Booker wins it back from Nash clean in the middle. Uh, he kind of rolls through the powerbomb 
and uh, hits the bookend at the Fall Brawl 2000 pay-per-view to win the belt mm-hmm. back. And that comes a couple of weeks uh, after this War Game show on Nitro. They plug Fall Brawl throughout. And uh, so, you know, you would think if anybody was to see the Vince Russo run with the book in WCW with rose-colored glasses, it would be Booker T, who has really Vince Russo to thank one would think assessing the situation for the whole five time five time thing right that's the reason yeah. he can say that is because russo uh put the uh put the pieces in play for him to get the championship so uh let's turn to booker t um and his account off the lapsed bookshelf booker t my rise to wrestling royalty about this point in time and let's see where he comes out on vince russo let's see if what oh, would boy. stand to reason is true and he looks back fondly and uh with appreciation too that uh Booker T was indeed the last WCW champion on WCW TV. He sure was. The closing scene. The clo- uh, in some well, way, not the closing well, scene. The closing scene is champion. Yeah, the closing scene. The closing time we see the world title. Of course, sure. Sting and Flair close the show. No, Vince McMahon closes the show. <laughs> Goddamn right. <clears throat> on August 2nd, this is useful too because it kind of just takes you through the blow-by-blow and what had happened on WCW TV, which is just so hard to recreate in your mind. Even if you watch it, it's hard. Um, But he kind of does a nice job spelling it out. On August 2nd in Terre Haute, Indiana on Thunder, I had my one and only opportunity to step into the ring with one of my idols and a true legend in the business, the great Muda. Talks about that. A couple weeks later at New Blood Rising. Crazy 15-minute match with Jeff Jarrett in Vancouver. At one point, the referee was out and Jarrett went for the guitar smash. I heard him sidekick the swing. You remember that, boss, when... Jarrett swings the guitar, and Booker T kicks the guitar in midair and shatters it. No. I don't remember that either. Gives him a bookend. The same show? Yeah, that's the the New Blood Rising match we were just talking about. I don't remember it. Trying to to get get you back here. My victory against Jarrett turned into a vengeance angle as he came for some payback during my match with Nash on the August 28th Nitro in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Nash had Russo and Steiner in his corner, and Jarrett had been assigned as the special guest referee stacking the deck against me. When I was getting the upper hand and nearing a finish, Russo tossed Jarrett his loaded particle board guitar and exploded it over my head. They always had that thing loaded with talcum powder for extra dramatic effect, and it sprayed all over me, setting me up for Nash's jackknife powerbomb. Taking a powerbomb from anybody is always a little scary. Anything could go wrong. You could be knocked out and wake up paralyzed. Getting hit by a guy standing 6 feet 11 is terrifying, but Kevin was always a pro and took care of me when pulling me up for the big release. It was almost like he floated me down as I took the massive fall. With that, I lost my world title after only a month with it. Mm. Turned out the big goal did come back to me a little sooner than expected when I got the rematch against Nash at Fall Brawl 2000 and Buffalo on September 17th in a cage. Steel cage matches still completely took me out of my element and limited my range as a performer. Everything from simply being whipped into the ropes to trying to... Is that to, what it was? That's what it was, yeah. Everything from being simply whipped into the ropes to trying to climb the top turnbuckle became trying. In this case, the cage was implemented as an equalizer in my favor due to all the interference I kept getting in my matches from Jarrett, Steiner, and Russo. Now they couldn't meddle in my affairs. Kevin and I lumbered around inside that chain-link fence for about ten minutes, getting all our moves in, before he saw an opportunity for the jackknife, which I countered into a bookend for the pin. I was the WCW World Champion for the second time. I thought I'd seen the last of the inside of a cage for a while, but I was wrong for Nitro at the Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. Russo booked himself against me in a cage for the World Heavyweight Championship. Come the fuck on. I thought, what's this all about? David Arquette, the sequel, only worse? Maybe Russo was feeling insecure. I know there were wrestling editorials out there giving him a hard time every week, which he never read. I never read the internet, bro. Unless you count reading every single word on the internet written about me, bro. That, right. go- that garbage would wear anyone down. Russo wanted their approval so desperately, 
and I'd seen that obsession ruin people over the years. Maybe Russo became so fixated on winning fans over that he figured he'd insert himself into on-screen angles, as Vince McMahon was successfully doing. Russo entered the cage, wearing an entire New York Giants uniform and helmet. The match it's so fucking <laughs> stupid. The match so fucking stupid. The match was a mess. With Who every... does that? Who goes? Unless you're fucking Norman Smiley. But like, if you have to go in with all that shit just to fucking protect yourself because you shouldn't be in the ring, you shouldn't be in the ring. I'll tell you who does that, boss. You asked who does that. How about? a former WCW World Heavyweight Champion. From fucking Dante and Clerks to WCW World Heavyweight Champion. The filthy animals and the natural-born thrillers slugged it out on the floor. Luger handed Russo a pipe to beat me senseless with. Sting, repelled from the ceiling. Flair, red and dressed as an EMT. Steiner, slammed the cage door in my face as I kicked it back into his. Last, the now-heeled Goldberg came in and speared Russo through the structure just before I walked out. Another concussion there for Vinnie Rue. I'm glad it wasn't overbooked. <laughs> Which, to this day, he questions uh, if Goldberg uh, went into business for himself with how hard he speared him, considering uh, what they had talked through prior to the spot earlier in the, uh, earlier in the day that he thought would have protected him. Since he was technically the first one through the cage, Russo, that is, Booker writes, I lost the belt. Vince. I thought the whole event was another embarrassment for the world title and WCW. The following week, Russo realized there was no way he could hold on to the belt and declared it vacated. It was official. And my, this is exactly what happened a year ago with Vince. Yeah. You know, he vacated it immediately. It's the exact same idea. It was official. In my opinion, Vince McMahon, that is. Russo had no idea what he was doing. It was official. In my opinion, Russo had no idea yes what he was doing so that's that's where he came down on it jesus the guy who you would think would have the most charitable view of uh russo's wcw booking tenure comes out that way hey you know that's just just the way it was now nash you mentioned nash peak form peak form First of all, part of his character is not just what we mentioned earlier, the guy who finds a way to do the, the least and make the most, but also a guy who, let, who turns heels on the fans by telling us the only time he ever wanted to appeal to the fans was just to move merch. A couple years ago, I decided to call myself Big Sexy. I probably should have deemed myself... The Puppet Master. What does he mean by that? He pulls the strings. Just listen. He'll tell you. You see, every couple of months, I suck you people in so you buy my merchandise. It's still available, too. What's he getting at here? Now that it's all been bought and off the shelves, you get the real me. Whoa. Talking about Two-Face. I don't give a damn about any of you, and I never have. You can't get me title shots. You can't get me belts. You can't watch my back. But these guys can. They can and they will. And boy, will they ever. You're right, Mark. Look at the mastermind, would you? 
So that's your character now. Money Boss, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's not my character. It's who I am. Oh, really? Fuck yeah. Yeah. What? I just want to push merch. I'm all about making money. You You never really cared about the fans? What? You never really cared about the fans? I never fucking cared about the fans. I care, well, I'll say this. I care about them buying my shit. That's for fucking sure. Mm. I don't need the fucking fans. Jesus, I got friends. Uh, hey, Kev. Yeah? Um, I thought the whole clamor about the Starcade 98 finish, not to go back to that, not like I'm obsessed with that or anything, was that you were just this... Yeah, you seem to have a problem about that. You're a fucking mark for that shit. Was that you were just this overwhelming babyface vis-a-vis Goldberg, that that was really the only decision that could be made back in December 1998. So yeah. fast forward two years, and I think you're telling the fans that they were complete marks and idiots for receiving you as a babyface because the only well, reason you were ever... business, you know? No one's a good guy. No one's a bad guy. It's fucking characters, you know? So, yeah, you know, I was, I was playing a good guy. And I just happened to be more popular than Goldberg. Go figure that, that a guy who's just fucking with the fans is more popular than the guy who's trying to be popular with the fans. Yeah. But am, am, as a fan, am I not supposed to feel like a sucker for supporting you as a babyface when you say the only reason you did it was to move merch a couple years later? Am I not look, supposed to put the two together? Look, as long as you're buying my T-shirts, I don't give a fuck. Yeah, you know, I'm over. What if I'm uh, over you? You know what? Here's the thing. I said that and fucking people still bought my shit. It's true. So who's the mark? Oh, <laughs> uh, Kev, just like whenever I talk to you, I always end up being the mark. You don't got to tell me. I knew that coming in. Hey, why were you screen- having shouting matches with Johnny Ace back then about being fine for being late to the building? What was that about? I'm not a W-2 employee. <laughs> I'm fucking 1099. I don't need to fucking show up until my match starts. If you're going to tell me where I need to be, when I need to be there, then you better also provide that W-2 so we can get yeah. the withholding Give going. Give me the fucking insurance. Yep. You know? Give me all that shit. Take care of my taxes. I don't want to fucking have to do that, but I'm a 1099. I do what I want. Mm-hmm. You have no fucking jurisdiction over me. <laughs> You know, the word was at the time, according to some reporting I'm reading here, Nash, that you would basically be bragging in the back that, yeah, they can implement fines on wrestlers for being late, but I've got a clause in my contract that says, essentially, I can't be fined. And so uh, you felt like Teflon Don, but you still received some fines, I guess, at the time. 
So what was up with that clause? Not as ironclad as you thought? No, it was fucking ironclad. I mean, they got to for- they got to put out the, you know, they got to hand me the fine so it looks whatever to the boys, you know. They don't want to make it look like, because I'm not supposed to be talking about my contract. I don't fucking care. So they got to make it look like, oh, you know, I'm getting fined, but I fucking just ripped that shit up. I had it in my contract. It says, I don't, Kevin Nash does not get fined. Under no circumstances will I ever get fined. You know? So they give it to me as a point of like showing an example to the boys, but I don't have to do shit. I want you to picture a tea kettle rising to a screaming boil on a stovetop. <laughs> it's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and JP Sorrow. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Now back to the show that knows Hogan was the one that really got over at WrestleMania 6. It's the lapsed fan. Now here's something from the Observer at the time, Kev. I'd love to get your response. Nash... Uh Nash was backstage politicking to get the title at the pay-per-view, saying that Booker isn't over as a champ, as a champion needs to be, since Nash gets cheered no matter how they script the confrontations between the two of them. The general feeling is he's not wrong in that regard, but that his motivations for saying it are self-serving. Where have I heard this before? Look, I'm not... Listen. All right? I'm all about pushing pushing what needs to be pushed to, to make the fucking cash come in. Yeah, and if Booker T is not bringing in money, and I am, maybe you should put me on top, and we'll have more money coming in. People weren't reacting. People weren't buying his stuff. What is it about whenever you come face to face with a world champion du jour that you always end up getting cheered more than the other guy? It's almost as if, it's almost as if it's by design. It's almost as if. You're not working to make sure the champion gets cheered. 
Because I mean, I like, wish I had that kind of power, but I mean, you're right. making me sound smarter than I actually. I do. Am, I, I do think you're smart enough to get the champion cheered over you if uh, you wanted uh, it to be that way. I felt that way since the Goldberg. Uh, listen, I, what I do is I go out there and I try to make business, and that's what it is, you know. And and, and if somebody else isn't up to my speed, I can't help that. I'm going to do everything that I can, but what speed would that be, Kev? Point five times. Listen, I did what I could with book. You know, I don't know what to tell you. Did you do what you could? This wasn't over. The book. In late two thousand, I didn't have the book. Let me let me read you these comments that Booker T made around this point in time to the Charleston right. Post Courier. Uh, about you potentially leaving WCW and making noise to that effect. Quote, let him go. You think he can go up there and run with those young guys? You think he could run all around the building with Triple H like they do up there and take suplexes on the walkway? These guys aren't capable of doing that stuff anymore. These guys have nowhere to go. And if they keep working WCW like they can, WCW is stupid. And that's the bottom line. If they want to go, let them go. Response? I mean, I wouldn't need to do fucking suplexes on the on the rampway. Who's gonna Who's gonna fucking suplex a seven foot, three hundred twenty pound guy on a fucking rampway? You know, maybe I'd suplex somebody else on there, but no one's suplexing me. I'm not concerned of that. You know, honestly, that shit sounds like sounds like fucking Russo. You know, that sounds like Russo wrote that shit for Booker. Really. Yeah. Did he want He's you whining out? Whining about up north, you know, whining about, you know, me not being able to handle up north. I fucking made up north. I fucking made New York. It's champion for a goddamn year. Booker T doesn't know shit. I changed this business. How so? I fucking turned around the entire goddamn company just by setting foot in the place. I come to WCW and the whole fucking thing turns around. Me and Scott and eventually Hogan. Three guys. And Pac. Pac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's the problem, Kev. I don't know. Oh, that's that's maybe you should do your research then because it's fucking. So you could know. Clear as day. So you could know because I fucking know. I was there. I fucking lived it. Anything else? <laughs> I guess not. <laughs> I guess you can go on your way. Uh, don't miss that flight to Daytona Beach. <laughs> um, so Bret Hart has a role in this war games, doesn't he, boss? He closes the cage door on Goldberg, and also closes the door on war games. <laughs> but at his career, closes the door on my patience. Um. Of course, they tried to leverage the fact that Goldberg concussed Bret Hart in the Starcade 99 main event. Uh, Bret had just had a horrible 2000, just like a a classic, you know, go back to our 97 journey, if you want to know, kind of the, the fucking... I mean, Bret Hart had a horrible life after I know. 97. The fucking Shakespearean-level tragedy that Bret Hart went through after being betrayed in Montreal and then just being bombarded with these signals that, like, you know, good people... Bad, bad things happen to good people in this life. That's that's pretty much Bret Hart's post WWF yeah. story. 
And so uh, he's out here. He had just uh, attacked Goldberg with a shovel in the desert the mm-hmm. week before this on Nitro. They where, pretended they were working together. Where were they? In a desert? Yeah, they were in a desert. They were going to bury somebody in the ground. Was it Russo? I don't know what they were going to do. But then Brett turns on Goldberg and hits him with a shovel. Um, and then he cuts a promo. You think Russo would know what to do with fucking Bret Hart? Well, he he did more with him than the prior regime. He put the belt on him and everything, and they went to Canada more, and they tried, but you know Brett got hurt right away, and uh, he was gone throughout mm. all of 2000 because he was just so fucked up because of this concussion and uh, the stroke he later had as a result of uh, you know as an outgrowth maybe of this head trauma and falling off his bicycle. <laughs> Like a child. Yes. But um, but so here, after he uh, closes the cage door on Goldberg in the War Games, the thunder after that, he confronts Goldberg in a fiery promo about how you did this to my head and how they're trying to take me out back and put a slug in my head because they just want me to die. And <laughs> and it's a pretty, it's a pretty uh, heated thing. And then Goldberg basically... As long as he's uh, being subtle about it. Right. Goldberg basically ends up going from being remorseful to showing no remorse because of how whiny Bret Hart is being. And that goes nowhere, too, because Bret ends up having to go through another battery of tests and and it doesn't really uh, n- nothing really happens from there. But it's it's important to denote it because uh, there he is uh, involving himself at the end of War Games. I and watching this again, I totally forgot yeah. that Bret even showed up again in WCW. Oh, honestly, God, I was I was like. I couldn't believe it. After Starcade? I couldn't fucking believe it, yeah. I was just like, yeah, we're never going to see well, him Well, no, again. he does. His new blood rise, new blood rise must be the one where he shows up yeah, too, right? to help Lance Storm. Right. Just intermittently he shows up. But I didn't remember He's him like showing Sting. up this late. Yeah, <laughs> like Sting. Uh, so just to put a little further color in the, in the vein of your Booker T's account, let's add Brett's to the mix. Even though he isn't a formal participant in the War Games, he is instrumental to its conclusion. Sure. And in his book, he sketches quickly these waning days of World Championship Wrestling. I was asked to show up at Nitro in La Cruces on October, August 28th. Las Cruces, New Mexico. On August 28th, where I saw Bill Goldberg for the first time since he nearly cut his own arm off breaking that car window. He Uh, he fucking had that date written down? What, August 28th? Yes. He probably remembered what city it was in and just looked it up, would be my guess. Las Cruces. But he used to keep... Uh, I know he keeps... Uh, he's got his fucking journal and whatever. Uh, all that, right. Jesus. He hugged me and told me how sorry he was about my concussion. I had no doubt about that. Bill was a good man. Unfortunately, he'd been pushed too fast and didn't understand his brute strength. That night, we both followed the insane booking angles. I hit Goldberg with a rubber shovel and pretended to bury him alive in the New Mexico desert. Maybe he should have been burying me for real. Dr. M called me to tell me the verdict was in. It was official. I'd never wrestle again. I went home and waited for Dr. Johnston to second Dr. M's opinion before I said anything to WCW. As Bob Dylan wrote, it's when you think you've lost everything that you find out you can always lose a little more. Correct. He was so right. WCW had me show up on September 4th for Dallas Nitro just to slam Goldberg's head with a cage door. That's the war games. The following night at Thunder, a WCW angle reduced my very real concussion into a silly storyline when they had me go face-to-face with Goldberg in the middle of the ring. I was slurring my words for real following the script to whine about how he hurt me when a wave of emotion came over me as I realized that nobody was getting it. Everyone, including all the fans, thought I was just acting like I was concussed. Then the big screen played the definitive camera angle of Goldberg's foot plowing into my head, one I'd never seen before. The crowd laughed and jeered me, 
as Goldberg dressed me down verbally. Afterwards, I felt like a whore, as I remembered the devastating impact of Goldberg's foot connecting with my head. Brett, Brett, you've been a whore your, ho- your whole life. Thank you, boss. Yeah, if you have a problem with being a whore, pro wrestling is probably not the business for you. Reinforced by what I'd seen up on the big screen, and I'd let them exploit it for ratings. At the end of the month, I returned to Montreal for more brain injury tests. When I was done, Antoine's bereaved parents picked me up and had me over for a home-cooked meal. Antoine, I think it was like somebody who took care of him in Montreal, was like his chauffeur and his friend. Mm. I'd been a steady horse all these years. Since being hurt, I'd done everything WCW asked of me. (laughs) Steady whore. Yeah, that's the editor's fault. I'd done everything WCW asked of me. It's not my fault. Cut my pay, then cut it again. Now, like a limping circus pony, I waited for the end. It came on October 19th, 2000, when J.J. Dillon called with the bad news. His voice cracked, and I knew it hurt him to tell me, though I could still feel the stick gently prodding me out the flap at the back of the circus tent. Twenty-three years, and it's all over. FedEx delivered my termination letter. Based on your wrestling incapacity... Oh, so it wasn't just Austin who got fired by FedEx. (laughs) No, everyone ultimately got their process that way. Based on your wrestling incapacity, WCW is exercising its right to terminate your independent contractor agreement, contractor agreement, effective October 20th, 2000. Your contributions to the wrestling business are highly regarded, and we wish you only the best. But you yourself future. are not highly regarded. That's correct. You can go to hell. So <laughs> that's one last straight to hell whimper from the hitman here at the War Games 2000. Yet another uh, victim to the games. So, if we're setting the scene, if we're setting the stage for this yep. very unique war games, and uh, Vince Russo gets the stick, we've got two teams here to kind of frame in the fans' minds on the very same Nitro that the match takes place on. What do you think he refers to the two teams as? You know, is it Sting Squadron and the Dangerous Alliance? Is it all the other creative names they've come up with? Um, no. You've got to have insider terms. <laughs> so, what are the two... cool. <laughs> What does Vince Russo tell us on this Nitro are going to be the names of the two respective teams in the War Games 2000? The Baby Faces and the Heels. The object of War Games is for one man to climb all the way up to the top of that third cage, get the WCW title, walk all the way back down through the cage, and out that door. Come and look how high that is. That man will be the WCW champion. Now, wait a minute. Kevin Nash can't be too happy about that. Mr. Russo is putting Nash's world There will be two teams of four. The team which I like to call the baby faces or the good guys. Russo, Jarrett, Steiner, and Nash. But it's, like, it's like the 1927 Yankees. Yeah, what a lineup. There are no teams. It's every man for himself after the world title. Against the heel team, the team of the cat. Booker T. Goldberg. Wow, what an eruption there. Look at that structure. 40 feet in the air, every bit. 
way past his prime, but Sting will be here in the game. Wow. Boss? What? Oh. <laughs> Thoughts? Baby faces versus heels. He's going to level with you, bro. I'm I not level him. I'm not going to level him out. I'm not going to kayfabe you, bro. That's the irony. When wrestling terminology and carny talk became ubiquitous and understood by the general public and the inside wrestling fans, and when everyone understood what kayfabe suddenly meant, that's when the real kayfabing began by people oh. in the business. This you know, is the baby faces versus the heels. War Games 2000. Need I say more about where we stand? He's so stupid. He's so fucking dumb with his stupid fucking talking. And it's like. It... I just don't understand <laughs> how you can. You know, I don't understand how you can create a wrestling show and tell stories that way, but at the same time, remind everybody that it's fake. Like, there's no progress with that. Nope. All you're doing is walking backwards off a cliff. Well, when you say everything's fake except this... Why would I watch the 90% of the stuff that's fake? Like, you do these shoot angles, like with Tank Abbott and Goldberg. Like, oh, I brought Tank here to really kick your ass, Bill. This is a shoot. And they go and they do the play fighting. They're Irish whipping each other. Well, that's the point. Like, that's why you don't, you don't pull the curtain back. We don't want to see the wizard. Let the wizard be where he's supposed to be. That's, that's, the, whole, that's the whole point. We want to suspend disbelief. He thought he was the hottest character in WCW, boss. He was not. He thought he was all people really wanted to see in WCW. Nobody gives a shit because nobody they, knows who you are. All that would intrigue them. All that would feel, what would make them feel like they were seeing something electric, something close to reality. Storylines about Vince Russo and how he's running nobody WCW. Shit. <sighs> nobody gives a shit about some fucking dork. <laughs> Who was like, who was working at a video store, jerking himself off in the fucking bathroom in the porno section. Nobody fucking cares. The bathroom was in the porno section? Sure, why not? Who gives a shit? Shit. <laughs> shit. Fuck. Tits. Bitch. Script writing. S-E-X. Yep. Sports Entertainment Extreme. Because... Oh, because what people don't understand is that I was trying to produce an entertainment product. <laughs> they never say it to your face, bro. That's, you know, and that's the thing. And this might be my last interview, bro. This is my last interview, bro. Until next week. This might be, you know. My, the last time I ever speak publicly, bro, and so I'm not going to hold back on this. Is someone going to shoot you? Is someone going to prevent you from speaking publicly again? Because please let that happen. <laughs> I, I go. I'm going to shoot, bro. Oh, I'm shut up. You know they. 
if anybody had a problem with any storyline I ever booked, they never said it to my face, bro. I'm saying it to your face. I have a problem with all the storylines you booked. <laughs> so, yeah. Tony Schiavone looks back on this time period as one where he was being way overproduced in the headset. He's on commentary for this show along with... Because Vince Russo has seen Vince McMahon work. Yeah. Uh, they're calling wrestling sports entertainment on Nitro. Stop it. Do you know how many times they do that? How clear it is that they think that that's like a, an edict, that that's something that's going to improve so the product, funny. that they're now, WCW is now calling wrestling sports entertainment. What a bunch of fucking pretenders. What a bunch of followers. What a bunch of bitch ass motherfuckers. The least you can do in differentiating yourself from WWF is not call this shit sports entertainment. That's the starting point. If you don't get that, what the fuck, imitation, man? imposter syndrome all day. What the B-League fuck? all day. Big brothered all day. Mark Madden's on the call. Huh? Mark Maddening is what he is. <laughs> and Jeremy Borash, interestingly enough, because Scott Hudson's uh, wife That's had gone fucking in, idiot. Gone into labor. So you, it's like, you know, it's, it's a who's who of losers <laughs> on commentary with Tony Schiavone. You know, like fucking S- Scott Hudson, Jeremy Boring, fucking Mark Maddening, these goofs. Well, Scott Hudson had to had to leave the building in a hurry because his wife went into labor. That was a shoot. So Jeremy Borash getting the, right. the call from the uh, WCW live position to the WCW actually live position. Doesn't it does say not much. make me care about fucking Scott Hudson any more than I do, nor does it make me give a shit about Jeremy Borash. So what you're saying is this is the perfect commentary team for War Games 2000. Of course, it absolutely is. All these guys care about what's going on. They can, they have the emotion to to deliver War Games. Giovanni, looking back, says he believes basically our jobs at WCW were done at this point in time, but we just didn't even know it. So. A bunch of cancer patients walking around, if you really want to know. And we'll get into the backstage machinations here in a moment. Uh, By the way, uh, the aforementioned angle where they attacked, where where Bret Hart attacked uh, Goldberg with a shovel in the desert. Russo had an idea where he wanted to be chained to the back of the truck and dragged through the desert. Ripped from the headlines. Nobody cares about you, Vince Russo. But there's bubbling speculation that... The AOL Time Warner merger is eminent and that it's not going to be good news when anybody in an acquisition looks at the books and sees this uh, big glaring red ink over here in this WCW unit that we still for some reason have. So the, uh, you know, we made a lot of hay in the first Nitro episode that we did as part of the Art of War games to you know, kind of the, put ourselves in the boardroom at Turner Home Entertainment at the time and you know, sort of how WCW fit and how thirsty so many top executives were in the organization to try to sell the, the company and get out of wrestling as quickly and as hard as they possibly could. Of course, the exact opposite ended up happening. Brad Siegel, according to Guy Evans' book, very much a leading proponent, a leading high-fiver at the notion of selling WCW. He's now basically running WCW because there's nobody left. Uh, Bischoff just went away after the 2000 uh, idea of merging him and Russo as a team just went out the fucking window. And then he did what he did to Hulk Hogan, so that was that. Russo goes home and comes back and they huff a few times, and he's talking with Brad Siegel, but Siegel basically 
puts his uh, stock behind Russo, but really what's happening is he knows that the company's going to get sold, and he's architecting the sale in a lot of ways. Um, and there's conspiracy theories about how his old uh, college roommate, Stu Snyder, who went over to become CEO of WWE, uh, basically was sitting there waiting to get mine. the very exclusive mine. opening bid, uh, right of first refusal, if you will, on, uh, on the WCW assets. I want it. I want to buy Ted Turner. Get it done. Well, well, but but Vince, Ted Turner isn't for sale. It's it's just WCW. WCW is Ted Turner. You buy that shit, and I'm gonna eat it. I'm gonna eat WCW. You take all the papers. Take Unlock all television. Yep. I want all you to contracts. Yes. I want you to make a, 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 hours. A, pal, a plate, a full plate. I want you to make a full spread out of all the legal documents transferring ownership to me of WCW. And then I want you to get me a napkin that I can tuck into my shirt. I want you to give me a big fork and knife and a lot of condiments. And I'm going to eat all those documents I at my desk. I want all the contracts. I want it all. Everything laid out in front of me. And I'm going to spend two hours eating metal and paper. And then I'm going to shit. Shit it right in the fucking ring. Because that's what WCW is. A big, heaping ball of shit. Yep. Yeah. But everyone's playing out the string, pretending that WCW has a future. Uh... Russo and Goldberg have a meeting on August 2nd with Brad Siegel, according to The Observer. Russo told Goldberg that Nash would be winning a championship in the three-way to get a shot at Booker on the Fall Brawl show by pinning Steiner, but then Steiner was going to pin Goldberg on the Buffalo Nitro, uh, no, Buffalo show, that, uh, pardon me, he was going to pin uh, Goldberg on the Fall Brawl show in Buffalo. Goldberg basically refused, according to The Observer, and his position in the company long-term is considered tenuous at this point. So uh, it, it's getting fun. WCW is now taking out the axe and making the kind of cuts you make when you're positioning your company for a sale, you know, trying to make the assets look as appealing as possible, trying to force cost discipline so that it doesn't look like you're losing as much money. Um, and all of a sudden, there is talk of widespread uh, talent budget cuts. According to J.J. Dillon, who was still in the front office at the time in his book, uh, WCW's talent budget was essentially 60% of all the revenue they took in. And they did do $120 million gross. In 2000, which is not profit, of course, but it, it's yeah. the amount of money that they took in, still on pay-per-view, still making money that way, uh, you know, with merchandise and video game licensing and things like that. But, um, yeah, just, you know, without the anywhere near the amount of money coming in that was coming in when they committed to a lot of these big-name contracts. And a lot of these guys, you know, Russo liked Nash, he liked Sting, um, he liked Steiner. That was about all the high-paying guys that he had any use for. Uh, everybody else, he wanted to bring Bret Hart. Everybody else he wanted to, to kind of bring up. And so he had a lot of actual support in the WCW locker room from a certain generation of stars who actually felt like he was their best shot at actually getting uh, into the top echelon of WCW. Of yeah. course, everyone was being worked because there was no future uh, in WCW. There was no spot to occupy for the next several years. There was no contract to be had. Um, these sands were, were draining from the hourglass. And uh, before the New Blood Rising pay-per-view, Brad Siegel uh, meets with the, with the talent and tells them the WCW is going to cut down to one TV taping a week to save costs. 
Um, I think they ended up typing Thunder after Nitro and just completely sucking the energy out of Thunder, of course, because of how tired the people were and how Jesus. underwhelming it seemed by comparison. They taped it out of order sometimes. Where, like, There was an episode of Thunder at this point in time where like one segment was put in the show before it should have. So it airs, and then the next segment, they're referring to it as coming up. What you just saw happen. Oh. Um, so they're figuring that out. Oh. They, uh, they cancel, uh, like I said, they cancel house shows. But pretty much it's just five shows a month and uh, with a pay-per-view on one of those Sundays. Jeez. They cut down big time on the pyro. Uh, they cut back on the, the set. They go from this massive set to just one little screen and this... What I think is just a completely like depressing looking like colored uh, uh, curtain, you know, like the backdrop yeah. to the entranceway. It just looks so like can we <clears throat> cover as many empty seats as possible, kind of thing. It's just this monstrosity of this like monotone sheet, like a bed sheet behind the the entranceway, which is just a single tron. Which they still found a way to have uh, Vampiro tear open with a knife so he could jump on Sting. Such like, an idiot. Um, but yeah, you're starting to see all those things. A lot of, uh, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that that indicate that there's some serious belt tightening going on. <laughs> yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of that. Uh, we see the pyro get cut. We see the set get dressed down. We see the fines being instituted for late wrestlers: five hundred a first offense, a thousand for a second, two thousand for a third. This is. This is austerity right here at World Championship Wrestling. Um, and they start uh, discussing ways to cut the big earners and what contracts they can get out of, and they're keeping people on ice. Um, these are the contracts, by the way, that you know they still had to pay out even after WCW gets sold to the WWF. That's why so many guys, as we've talked about ad nauseum on the Invasion show and other shows, never showed up in WCW until 2002, yeah. even though the Invasion angle was already over, because they could sit home and collect per the terms of right. their deal. And uh, we're being paid to do so uh, <clears throat> under their WCW contracts. Uh, but yeah, so the fine thing, like I said, I, I wasn't joking there with, with Nash. He did have a backstage argument with Johnny Ace, who was front office at this time and helping Russo quite a bit and booking finishes and putting together kind of the odds and ends of the show. And actually had won quite a, quite a vocal uh, category of support from some guys in the locker room who felt the way he saw the business and was booking finishes and stuff was the way forward. Um, and, you know, his role here played no small part in him uh, being seen as a candidate for the WWE jobs that he ended up holding. Um, so the fines start coming in, and Nash freaks out on uh, on on Ace because he thinks Ace gave Brad Siegel the idea to implement the fines. And so he wasn't ah. uh, So he's going to stick up for the boys and all that shit. Huh? Yeah. Why? Uh, also being fined were Rey Mysterio, Juventud Guerrera, Conan, I found him. Kidman... <laughs> They don't need to be found. I found him. Brad. 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 It's it's Ace. It's 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 Ace. Brad. I found him. Johnny, why do you always seem to call me from 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 the shoreline during a hurricane? I found I found Ray. I found him. Well, he is. He wanted me to go find Ray. He is the king of mystery. That must have taken a lot of work. Huh? He is the king of mystery. That must have taken a lot of work. Who? Rey Mysterio. What? What? You said go find Rey. Hey, Johnny, while I have you, I heard what? that Nash was complaining that he's been... He, he's complained so much that you gave him a one-hour grace period as far as when to get to the building? Um, 
Yeah. And then he told you that guys weren't getting adequate time to train with these new, show, uh, you know, report times. I thought I told you, you got to be there at this time, no exceptions, and that's it. What's up with yeah. you offering well, amnesty here? I got to tell you, Brad, you know, Nash is kind of scary. You know, he's a big guy, and um, and I, 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 you know, you know, he just he makes me feel nervous. Okay. I just don't know. I don't know if I can handle him. Anybody else? I just can't. I told Nash he can do whatever he wants. All right, Johnny, whatever. I got to go. I said he can drink in the ring if he wants. All right, Johnny, I'm sorry. I'm going. Um. And uh, he also said, he said, he, he told me, and I said it was okay. I didn't think he'd have a problem with it. Oh, no. He said there are going to be times he's going to call out sick, but he still wants to get paid. I said, okay, that's fair. Yeah. How does he know ahead of time that he's going to be sick? What? How, <laughs> how can he telegraph today when he's going to be sick in the future? How does he know? Well, he told me he's got a medical degree. Or, or that he has the equivalent of a medical degree, something like that. What's the difference between a medical degree and something that's the equivalent of a medical degree? I don't know. You're going to have to ask Kev. Isn't the thing that's equivalent to a medical degree a medical degree? I mean, that, it could be, but that's just not my pay grade. Johnny, did you miss your calling as a Weather Channel storm tracker? I can't hear you. <laughs> the wind's blowing so big back here. <laughs> People power. So they cut all the Mexicans. Uh, Hoovy and uh, Ray are thought to be on the chopping block. Lenny Lane, Kurt Hennig. Goodbye to Kurt Hennig, who played a role in the War Games history. It's like Liz. Barely saw you, pal. Nobbs, IRS. Christopher Daniels. Nobbs was still there. Yeah, he was. Everybody was still on payroll. That was the thing. Jim Duggan, others. Uh, Buff. Uh, Buff was one of the few guys that WWF actually brought on. When they acquired WCW, that didn't last long. Uh, kind of. I wouldn't say brought on. Yeah. He had a moment. He did have a moment. He had a chance, and it went nowhere. Um, remember, they have those 90-day cycles in their contracts where every 90 days they have the right to kind of reconsider whether they need you or not. They get rid of Brett via the uh, the phone call on the FedEx from J.J. Dillon, as we just mentioned, from his book. So, yeah, it's, it's all the things you do when you're going to prepare a company to be sold, and that's the bottom line. And... Uh, if we take a look at September 2000 compared to September 99, and that was mm -hmm. hardly a great year for WCW. I mean, 99 is really when the, the wheels started to fall off after the damage done in 98. Uh, it tells the story. Uh, for um, the WWF, incredible. Gangbusters. 30% increase in attendance year over year. 50% increase in gate. Um, we're looking at uh, ratings that were a little, little softer as far as the TV yeah. ratings. But the money is just piling in. They did... 86.7% more money for the 2000 Unforgiven than the 1999 Unforgiven. Jesus. The buy rate was up 76%. Over at WCW, the rating from September 99 to September 2000 was down 33%. Oh, my God. The gate was down 29%. 0% of house shows sold out. 8% drop in the average Monday night rating from September 99 to September of 2000. Um, 
because of the switch to the two-hour format, this makes that direct comparison misleading, of course. It's a bit easier to do a higher rating when only the average of two hours is being taken together, as opposed to the average of three hours. Russo was happy to see that change in January, but he claims that he didn't advocate for it. Um, but it did give Nitro, you know, easier job getting a better rating and also an hour unopposed. Nitro being on from 8 to 10, Raw remaining 9 to 11. And uh, for, as far as Fall Brawl goes, the September pay-per-view, uh, the buy rate declined 44.8% year over year. Jeez. And revenue goes down 35%. The Nitro that this took place on in Dallas at Reunion Arena. Yeah. Uh, did 3,534 paid, 4,363 in attendance, which is actually less paid than the Nitro from August 28th in Las Cruces, New Mexico. When you're doing less paid in a major market like Dallas with oh, a rich rest compared to Las Cruces, New Mexico, you know, something is off. So all of this is to miss the fact, just to overlook the fact that basically what's happening here is the backstage positioning for to sell WCW. And uh, part of the reason everything just is so fatalistic and who gives a fuck at this point in time is because everybody yeah. knows this is true, Vince Russo included. He knows that the company's about to be sold. Bischoff uh, actually ends up on the same flight as a lot of the WCW crew flying to Atlanta from Phoenix one week. Oh, to, get out of here. Yeah, to go attempt to negotiate a sale because Bischoff was talking to uh, potential acquirers. And there's all kinds of stuff in the newsletters and in the press at this point in time about where things were going uh, the first time we hear Bischoff's name sort of outside of WCW, September 7th, uh, here's an article, uh, HollywoodPartners.com Incorporated announced that Eric Bischoff, a television and film producer and former president of WCW Wrestling, has joined its advisory board. Bischoff, born May 27th, 1955, grew up in Detroit, relocated to Minneapolis and attended the University of Minnesota, blah, 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 blah. Uh, he launched the Nitro brand, which became the number one, blah, blah, blah. He brought Hogan to the WWF. Currently, Bischoff is dividing his time. WCW. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah, WCW. Did I say WWF? You said he brought Hogan to the WWE. Currently, Bischoff is dividing his time between Arizona and California, where he is producing and developing projects for television. Ooh, so not yet in Cody, Wyoming yet. No, not yet. One of these projects involves reality-based Road Rage, a television show he is currently in negotiations with one of the networks. Eric Bischoff. I love, I love all of his fucking, all oh of his God. shows that he quote-unquote produces. Yeah. But they last like a season. <laughs> yeah, it's... Jason Hervey trying to keep him in the TV business. It's so annoying. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast. The wrestling podcast that knows the boys need their candy. It's the Lapsed Fan. Eric Bischoff is one of the best promoters in the country, said Gene Scher, Hollywood Partners' chief executive officer. We look forward to working alongside Mr. Bischoff to maximize our promotional and marketing opportunities in the coming months. HollywoodPartners.com is a marketing and promotions company that designs and implements creative client solutions that use the oh, internet. Oh, 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 there's nothing I hate more. You know this stuff. There is nothing I hate more than a sl- than, than like a, 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 a company description that says, yeah, uh, uh, we, uh, uh, whatever it is, like we focus in, cl- in, create, in creative client solutions. What's the problem? Yeah. Yeah, here's the thing about something that's... You can't pit- stand creative client solutions. Here, yeah. Here's the thing about selling solutions. You've got to create the problem first. Right. Because uh, it works that I way. I suppose the, the client probably has a problem that needs to be, needs to be solved, but like... No, the client I has to be... stand that creative solutions. The client has to oh. be convinced he has a problem that needs to be solved. You know what? 
shut up. <laughs> well, Hollywood I, partners. The fuck does that even mean? To use the internet. Ooh, we got internet in there. That's going to help the uh, market cap. Internet, that's going to help the multiple. That's right. To augment traditional business models of bricks Gone. and mortar companies. Oh, so you don't have to have an office. You can go on the internet and book talent. To provide online concerns with traditional tools to expand their business prospects. Sad state of affairs. The company it's uses... It's be an all-virtual company. Oh, look at that. It's like <laughs> fucking 2020. The company uses both prepackaged and customized initiatives to enable its clients... What? To, the company uses both prepackaged and customized initiatives to enable its clients... What are the initiatives? ...to drive traffic, enhance branding, and move product offline as well as online. Can you kill me? The company uses online and in-store sweepstakes promotions and Hollywood content to attract and target visitors who register to take part in current and future promotions. They're not even saying anything. <laughs> Nothing they're saying is real. It's all, I mean, it's wrestling. Its operations are carried out through two sites, planetfree.com, which operates its sweepstakes business, and bigtimehollywood.com, the company's e-magazine, which provides exciting content with a view toward its future syndication. This oh, my God. This is just, I mean, there's never, I've never heard so many words mean <laughs> so little. So that's the company Bischoff is keeping, at least as far as we can tell from a public facing side at this point in time. So his name is back in the soup. He's making moves. And um, one of the names that comes up, I, I challenge you on this one, boss, as being interested in acquiring World Championship Wrestling at this point yeah. in time, uh, it's a company by the name of SFX Entertainment which is basically involved in concert promotion and owning arenas and r running sports agencies and representation. Uh, it eventually was sold yeah, to Clear Channel. Before. Yeah, um, it's, um, I want to say it's CEO. Uh, let me make sure I get the, um, yeah, the title here. Um, he's basically the leader of the company. I don't know if he was actually the CEO. Is a guy named uh, Robert Sillerman. His name starts coming up as being interested in buying World Championship Wrestling on behalf of uh, his company, SFX. Okay. Do you remember Robert Sillerman? That name is very familiar. Why would we remember Robert Sillerman, I notice? Why would you and I have shared a moment that involved a guy who wanted to buy WCW in 2000? Sillerman. Well, I mean, we did, did we mention him in the memorial... Tour? No, no. I feel like it's a more personal connection we share with him. I feel like he was there for a momentous moment in our lives. I feel like he once turned to me with a graduation cap on and said, even oh, though... Oh, get the fuck out of town. Thoughts? This, this, is the guy that went, like, this is the guy that went on and on, right? Our commencement speaker. This fucking guy was the worst. Robert Sillerman thought about buying WCW. Our commencement oh, speaker. Man. This guy <laughs> was such a fucking bore. <laughs> All right. Let me tell you. Let me tell you this. Okay. So yeah. you guys understand what, where, where we're coming from here. First of all, we get, you know, as everyone who's in the solar system has seen Jack and his wrestling loaded fucking uh, 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 valedictory speech. You know, that was fun. That was great. Then we had Dennis Leary. Dennis Leary, former Emerson grad. Fucking great. He came in. He was funny. He was great. He was entertaining. This fucking guy. 
Robert Francis Xavier <laughs> Sillerman. This piece of shit. If I knew he wanted to buy WCW, I would have had a million things to ask him. Oh, I know. Exactly. Yeah. Doing that. But he, he went on for like, what, a half hour or something like that? He just kept talking and talking and nobody gave a shit. I'm sure he said content and distribution. What? I'm sure at some point he said content and distribution. I'm sure he did. But like he made no sense. Nobody gave a shit. It was the worst. Wow. <laughs> Incredible, isn't it? He's the guy who bought all of the IP around Elvis. Remember that was the, I remember sitting there being like, "What? He did what? He bought he bought the right to Elvis's identity? Like, how the fuck does that work?" But well, I'm not surprised he found a way. He seems like a guy who <laughs> That was that. Who could do that? Yeah. Uh so so that was that. And uh I thought that was kind of funny. So his name is in the sauce. My God. As being interested. Electronic oh. Media, October 2nd, 2000. <clears throat> Headline. I would love to know, like, what... And now I really want to know, like, what... What did you... What were you thinking, pal? Well, he... What he... What his situation was, according to what I could discern, was they owned arenas. That was their play, to buy up arenas and make the money off filling them. But they had um, too many um, empty spots on their calendar, particularly on weekdays, that they weren't monetizing their arena capacity. So wrestling in WCW was thought to be a, a nice way to, to, you know, make some money, particularly on weekdays, Monday nights and stuff, nights that are hard to draw live event attendance in okay. some of these arenas they owned. So that was the thought. Didn't happen, obviously, but uh, they were sniffing around. Um, electronic media, let's see. Uh, October 2nd, 2000, Goober wrestles for WCW. Mandalay Sports out to buy franchise from Turner. Mandalay Sports Entertainment, run by former movie mogul Peter Goober, is in serious negotiations to buy Turner's World Championship Wrestling. A deal is expected by mid-October, Insider said. Jason Hervey, a principal in Mandalay, of course, had no comment on, pending, on a pending deal with WCW, but he did speak in broad strokes about the independent company looking into long-term asset creation with branded series programming. What the fuck does that even mean? We really believe in long-term asset creation and look at it as part of the merchandising, international format rights, and other licensing and sales opportunities that are out there. Can I ask you something? Who, who sat there and said to themselves, you know what? This is the way we make money. We got to talk like assholes. Uh, it's so true. It's just the, the code words that they think are necessary to sound big league, pathetic. Like the, so the mark of sophistication is being able to communicate in clear, plain language. Those are the people who deserve respect. Yeah. The people who can take the mumbo jumbo, the boardroom obfuscation, and turn it into something that has the impact beyond the four walls of a room where everybody's stroking each other and everybody knows the subtext of things everybody else is saying but nobody can come right out and say it. No. Like, that's any way to conduct a, a moral life. Like, that's any way to be a human being on this fucking planet. Like, that's not tantamount to barely existing at all, ceding your existence to this, this groupthink language that masks the intention behind everything you're saying and, and, and is designed just as much to crowd people out of understanding what you're talking about as it is to... I, I, I can't stand... Long-term asset creation... Okay, what's an asset? It's something that has value that you own 
It can be mm-hmm. tangible, like a desk. It can be intangible, like uh, the idea of a brand or a yeah. feeling of a brand. Long term, what does that mean? Everyone thinks they have long-term assets. No one says, I got a short-term no. asset. It's cool. Great. Money. No. By the way, there's no such no. thing as long-term. It's just no. a series of short-terms. Right. I mean, lo- long-term is, is, is all subjective. Absolutely. Because, because what's long-term to you is not long-term in the grand scheme of things. Long-term means don't pay any attention when it looks like we're failing because we're right. in it for the long haul. Uh, Look at it as part of the merch. you're not. Right. Until suddenly you're cutting and running and someone's buying you and you act like, oh, shit, you know. Huh? Well, that's way cool. It's a great opportunity. That's business, you know. That's, that's uh, what you got to do. And look at it as part of the merchandising. So he's trying to get that word in there. Uh, so they're look- <laughs> we, we really believe in long-term asset creation and look at it as part of the merchandising. So we're going to make money off selling T-shirts and books and shit. International format rights. So. Basically, you know, WCW is actually going to make money off international television because they don't really have a discerning taste for what wrestling. They just want to buy American wrestling. That's that's helped TNA and other secondary groups over the years because, you know, to international TV buyers who just want to fill time, any American wrestling will do. So there's actually quite a bit of money to be made internationally. And other licensing and sales opportunities that are out there. So, yeah, books, magazines, toys, video games, etc. I hate everything about this company. We're basically leveraging our belief that sports and entertainment media is going to continue to intersect, and we want to be a player in that field. Mr. Goober, Mandalay's founder and chairman, did not return phone calls. Turner Entertainment officials declined comment. And I wouldn't return the phone calls either. In light of the pending AOL acquisition of Time Warner, sources said TW has been looking to dump money-losing companies before AOL executives move in. WCW has reportedly lost as much as $80 million in recent years after fickle audiences turned to the WWF. The sale to Mandalay is being brokered by Eric Bischoff, who ran the WCW in its heyday and now works at Mandalay. The scenario being circulated around the offices of Turner Sports is that Mandalay Sports would buy the rights to WCW but would agree to keep it on Turner's cable networks, TBS Superstation and Turner Network Television. Although the WWF remains the clear king of cable, TNT's wrestling program Nitro still averages a strong three rating or so in the Nielsen Media Research ratings. The arrangement would be similar to the deal between the WWF and Viacom, in which WWF owns and manages the programming while Viacom markets and promotes it. Remember, Raw was on TNN starting in September 2000. If they bought it, WCW, they would still need to, an outlet to carry God, the program. I hated that so much. Oh, the uh, TNN era? I hated it on TNN. Yeah, not much to recommend it. Besides new management, Mandalay brings to the table a partnership with New Urban Entertainment, a joint vec- venture of SFX Entertainment. Okay. All right. So they're, they're partners with F- SFX, so it's not exactly a departure from SFX's mm. interest. And Space Station Television, the new unit will be called Mandalay Sports and Urban Entertainment and will create sports and urban-themed entertainment My God. for cable network, TV, internet, and theatrical distribution. The partnership what? with that... <laughs> I, like, can't you just speak words? No, you can't. No. Why the, do you have to talk like this? Because everyone in the business gets together and comes up with categories that they think if they can attach themselves to... It will attract investment capital, yeah, and it does. Th- there are people who I need to have be smarter than me. <laughs> okay, there are. <laughs> there are people I need the president of the United States to be smarter than me. Okay, I need intelligence in that. I need 
all the people in government pretty much need to be smarter than me. I need to believe that at least that they're smarter than me. I need journalists. I need journalists to be smarter than me. I can't stand journalists who write in, in like common tongue. Mm-hmm. I can't stand it. Mm-hmm. I can't stand op-eds. I can't stand any of that shit. I don't want your opinion. I want the facts and I want you to be smarter than me. Mm-hmm. I don't want corporations to be smarter than me. Wow. I want to understand I want fucking NASA to be smarter than me. I want doctors to be smarter than me and to speak in a language. But corporations, you're just a thing. You don't matter. Like you're just a thing to make money. Like you're not intelligent. Don't be intelligent. Yeah, it, it's it's you know it's like dog whistles basically because it's like they know that there are people with a whole lot of money and they have a whole lot of money because they have money. That's why they have it. So they get more of it and they invest it in things they kind of know something about, but they're just chasing chances to grow their money. That's it. So if they start hearing buzzwords like intersection of media and sports, internet, urban themed, ooh, I want to play that. I want to play that. I want to put my money towards things that make money off that phenomenon, what I perceive to be a phenomenon. If I put my money there, I'll make more money. So corporations aren't talking to you in the press. They're talking to people who have money that they can give them because they think it's going to make them more money. And so if you say the right buzzwords, that's what they're doing. They're talking through you. I, I, I guess, but it's just, I don't know. I don't get it. Like it, 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 I don't know. I guess you're right. I guess you're right. I'll just, when it comes time to sell you the actual product as a consumer, that's when they start trying to speak your language. That's when they start trying to communicate clearly with you. But this kind of talk is designed to appeal to investors and to people who have money to deploy and who want to play certain themes, you know, like urban, like, oh, okay. Like if I have money, I think there's more money to be made if I'm getting a piece of entertainment properties that are making money off black consumers yeah. and viewers, right? So that's the sure. that's the signal there. Uh, I mean, intersect. Urban, that just, that's just like racist yeah, right there too. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it's funny because like, what they mean by urban and entertainment is BET. That's it. Or TV. Hey, Silverman died, by the way. Did you know that? Oh, he did. Rest in peace. Died last year. A year ago. Oh, so. man. How'd he die? Don't know. He died. Uh, he had a respiratory illness. So yeah. he wouldn't have lasted this year anyway. No. He'd have been dead anyway. So. The partnership with SFX adds a company to the mix that owns or operates 120 live entertainment venues in 31 of the top 50 markets. Hey, guess what? In May 2012, he was accused of sexual harassment by an employee of Function X. <sighs> More like Function Sex. The dispute was settled out of court for an yeah. undisclosed amount, so we did it. Uh, in February 2014, a lawsuit was filed against Silverman for allegedly having defrauded a trio of business partners. No, come on. Silverman come on. In emails promised a joint partnership in which the plaintiffs would receive $2.5 million. I'm sorry, 2.5 million founder shares of SFX, which never materialized. (laughs) Hey, there aren't just workers in the wrestling business, brother. That's why I wanted the business. That's why I wanted WCW. So we're talking Mandalay. We're talking uh, these other groups, uh, Hollywood dot com or whatever the fuck it was all these weird names coming up these alphabet soups fs sfx 
being interested in buying WCW, then suddenly, Hollywood Reporter, October 24th, 2000. WWF may try to wrestle Mandalay out of WCW ring. Rumors are flying that the World Wrestling it's, Federation has exercised... So, sorry, I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's just so fucking weird. Mm. Like, I'm... I'm I'm reading so I'm reading this Wikipedia page here, and it's just like he he had his fucking fingers in so many weird things, just because he had money. Yeah, that's what I'm trying like, to say. He 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 that's it. he was technically a Broadway producer. Yeah, he was an executive producer uh, uh, for the producers. It's oh, funny, actually. <laughs> Yeah, and then he also held a stake in Mora Bresner, uh, uh, Steinberg, and Tenenbaum Entertainment, which was the management company for Woody Allen, Robin Williams, and, B- and Billy Crystal. Mm-hmm. Like, he also acquired eighty percent in Muhammad Ali Enterprises. Like, this is so fucking weird. Yeah. That, that, that it, just, like it's who's got the money? Has, that 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 he's got his dip in his toes and all this shit. Yeah. When. You can be part of any world you want as long as you give me that fucking money. Know. You know, you too can be a boxing promoter. You too can be a movie producer. I you- can see Bono as a as a uh, as a boxing promoter. I can see that. <laughs> Just ingratiate yourself. You know, like if you got enough money, people will act like this is your this is the natural fit for you. And you can, you know, I see this guy in UFC all the time. Like when I covered UFC aggressively, it's like yeah. these people. You know, anybody with money who thinks that somewhere deep down that they're kind of tough, you know, and that they can, uh, that they somehow can, um, that they share something in common with tough people or who feel yeah. so, uh, so frightened by the prospect that they might not be tough and that they might be soft. So they force themselves fight club style into like uncomfortable, yeah. violent situations to counteract that nagging feeling that they're soft as fuck. Uh, you know, they, they, they can just, they can get a seat at the table if they just put a lot of money on the on the table and suddenly they can be made to feel like part of any world they want. It's part of the charm of having all kinds of money or, you know, you can give all kinds of money to like a, a cause and then you're just, you're hailed as some kind of God. Every time they have a ball, you know, you can go to these fancy fucking events and just be slobbered all over just by putting cheese on the table. That's what this is folks. Rumors are flying that the World Wrestling Federation has exercised its right to match any offers for Turner-owned rival World Championship Wrestling and perhaps has derailed the deal Mandalay Sports Entertainment thought it had locked up as recently as two weeks ago. Sources who keep close tabs on Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation Entertainment Empire said Monday that no deal is in place, but representatives of the WWF Turner Broadcasting Mandalay and the WCW declined comment. A well-placed industry source said whatever happens will have ramifications for the wrestling industry, even if all McMahon... And the WWE do is simply drive up the price of someone else's deal for a younger, smaller, less popular stable of personalities. Operating the two biggest wrestling entities under one banner would seem to offer cost-efficient complete control. That would appeal to McMahon, whose stock has taken a battering on Wall Street recently and who is sinking millions of dollars into the XFL, the 18 Mm. Pro Football League, co-owned by NBC and scheduled for launch in February. WCW comes with a lot of baggage, the source said. Will McMahon overextend himself with this deal? And then there's another anonymous quote. So uh, that's going down. The writing is on the wall. War Games 2000 is just a couple of weeks in the past. And WCW had a pre-scheduled tour of Australia in October of 2000. And the whole crew gets their shit together. And despite all of the writing on the wall that things were about to change significantly, set sail for Australia. One person who stayed behind, however, who deliberately decided not to board the plane, who just decided, I'm not going to go to the... 
to the country. I'm not going to go on the tour, and no, nothing anyone can tell me otherwise is Vince Russo. <laughs> Vince Russo doesn't get on the plane. Instead, he goes to see his beloved New York Giants play in the Major League Baseball playoffs. And uh, no, the New York Giants are football. I'm sorry, the San Francisco Giants. I'm just okay. so I can't put him together with anything but New York. Why the uh, well, right? Slip Why the, the San Francisco Giants? I have no idea. And so he retreats to his playoff baseball and his man cave and his fantasy roster, and that's that. Like a fiend. So stupid. War Games 2000. Yeah, I guess. Will Winthrop. Co-chairs. Yeah. Not sure if you're doing this show, War Games 2000, <laughs> because it's so far removed from War Games, it doesn't even resemble the previous matches. But I need to write this email for my own cathartic purposes anyway. I just got done watching the show, and it's the ugliest wrestling show I've ever seen. Oh, it's rough. Growing up, my humor was shaped by watching the offensive comedians my dad loved. And in recent years, I've been concerned about oversensitive censorship in modern entertainment. But Vince Russo, and especially this show, is a perfect counter-argument to those concerns. The way women are treated on this show is horrendous, and I know it isn't, that isn't anything new for Russo, but at least in WWE I could see that his offensive garbage, like Terry's fake miscarriage, was some misguided attempt at story. On this Nitro, there are repeated sexist remarks that are just oh. thrown in for seemingly no other reason than to make Russo laugh. Because he's angry. He's an angry, mm -hmm. sex-deprived fucking uh, a juvenile delinquent. There is no reason for Arn Anderson to tell Pamela that he loves that she's wet, reminding you of the gross uncle your mom hates. TV's best-looking big man Mark Madden litters the broadcast with creepy comments about any women that oh, get sucked into his gravitational pull. so fucking creepy. Major Guns and Pamela are thrown into the pool purely so Russo can get his jollies. And Pamela seems to be a Russo staple, the good-looking interviewer who struggles to string words together. And away from the sexism, there's other needless shite on this show. I don't know if Sonny Ono's racial lawsuit was still going on at the time. Oh, it was. But they could show the clip of the Young Dragons on this show and win the case there and then. And in the same segment, why did Chronic decide to answer, answer the question, what if the APA dressed like the Hardy Boys? It's a great... <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. This show is is also incredibly ugly visually. I don't think I've seen anything as representative of the worst of the early 2000s as the show's opening intro. Why you change the original intro's concept is beyond me. I know. The intro's horrendous. <laughs> Love it. And the stage is awful. WCW shows around this yep. time give me an AWA feel. The arena feels empty, because it was. <laughs> and everything they're doing exacerbates that fact. There is nothing worse to watch than a bad actor, and Vince Russo is awful. It was painful to watch him pretend to be worried in those horrendous backstage oh, segments. Yeah. Away from this monstrosity of a wrestling show, allow me to join the solar system in offering up a war game suggestion. Let's jump back to the summer of 1976, head to MSG, and have the team of Ivan Koloff, Ernie Ladd, Stan Hansen, Bruiser Brody, and superstar Billy Graham... Face off against Ivan Putsky, Boba Brazil, Chief J. Strongbow, Gorilla Monsoon, and Bruno fucking San Martino. The pop for Bruno as the final entrant would be incredible. Also, I know JP has been wondering about BT Sports comments about Drew McIntyre. Well, since real sports have returned, WWE has barely been mentioned on the page. <laughs> All there has been is a couple of NXT UK videos as the promotion is now being filmed in BT Studio, although I don't think I could find wrestling fans that care about that. In a video of Triple H and Stephanie where the most popular comment was something stating that 
someone stating that if you're a grown man and you watch wrestling, then 99% sure you're a virgin. So popular is ever over here. <laughs> P.S. This jukebox may requ- request may require a full dollar instead of a quarter, but I was wondering if Lapsed Lanny could do Trish Stratus's timeless theme, Time to Rock and Roll, except replace every whoa in the song with a Luger cell. Cheers. Holy shit. All right, let me... Let's raise a glass here to not only War Games 2000 with a little rendition from the boss, but War Games itself. Lyrics. Uh, Time to rock and roll. Lyrics. It's time to rock and roll. (laughs) Illinois' finest. This time I'm in control. Wow! Right now I own the streets. I got the keys to the city. That's because I get down. Sometimes I wonder how far I, how I made it far. Mm -hmm. With all these people hating on me, y'all know who you are. Take a chance and try to come up in this game being a star. Now I own the keys to a brand new fancy car, baby. It's my turn to burn, and now I'm here to rub it in your face. Ha 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 ha. When will you learn? I'm the queen, and I'll put you in your place. Wow! <laughs> it's time to rock and roll. Wow! <laughs> this time I'm in control. Wow! <laughs> right you ain't now, ready for that in the grocery store aisle. I got the keys to the city. That's because I get down. There you go. Thank you. I can't think of a better serenade to the war games than that. Hey, we did get Luger Wows during the course of the games, yeah, didn't we? we? Definitely. We got plenty of them. Um,. And so we remind folks that uh, there's one way to show your appreciation for all the effort that goes in, for all of the um, momentous feats of a journey here at TLF, and that's toggle over to patreon.com slash the lapsed fan. Be a giver, not just a taker. Don't be a bitch. Don't be a freeloader. And do it out of self-interest. Do it because you get so much from what we do. And if you don't You know, look, labor gets paid for. If you don't believe labor should be paid for, you're a bitch. Yeah. And there's a lot of labor here. There's a lot of labor. And again, you know, don't do it for us. Do it for you. Do it for ad-free versions of every show we do. Do it for early access to the deep dive portion of every episode. Do it. Consider this, okay? You know, in, in, uh, in Catholicism... They talk about original sin. All right, it's the sin that you get because of Adam and Eve. All right, they talk about that. That's what it is. Original sin, you're born with it because, in 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 theory, we're all uh, descendants of Adam and Eve, the first two human beings. We're also all right. Just I think three or so, four months from WCW sin. That's good point. So now think of it. Like that. You have your original sin. 
being a freeloader is your original sin. Anybody does it. You just come in, you start listening to podcasts. You're not going to pay for it. They're all there available for free. Why would you fucking pay for it? You're living in original sin. Then you get baptized in the church of lapsed. You go to confession. You atone in the church of lapsed. You go on the WrestleMania journey. You go the 12 stations of Starcade and World Class and the AWA and the trial of his life and the art of war games. Every major religious movement right here. Okay? And you atone and you realize that you have sinned and you ask for forgiveness. That is Patreon. That's correct. That is Shane Canning doing the right thing and pledging up and getting in line for some of that exclusive content. He writes, I'm back, can't keep away. So many folks uh, share that experience, Shane. We know when we see you once, we'll see you again eventually. You know, folks drift from the church, right, boss? Sure, that I- happens. But then something happens in their I mean, lives. We live in uncertain times. So we do course. live in uncertain yep. times. And, you know, they get sort of proud. They think they can make it without the church. They think that it's, uh, it's superfluous to living a, a wholesome existence. And then, I don't know, something happens to shake their confidence in the future. Something happens to shake their confidence in their ability yep. to see through heartbreak, to see through yes. trying times, to see through uh, tribulations. And suddenly the church offers uh, an opportunity uh, to lift themselves out of that difficult circumstance. And we're there to bridge that gap here at TLF. Correct. We are essential to the essential. It is tremendous to see tweets and outreach from folks who are out there who have never had a chance during this pandemic to stay home and to cloister themselves away from the virus and have to get in the mix. And to be the audio companion that helps them get through those days is a high calling. And it's one that's made possible by the non-greedy among you who go to Patreon and say, you know what, if podcasts are going to be worth a shit, listeners of the shows are going to have to pay for them because you don't understand the sacrifices that need to be made to achieve mass audience scale in mm-hmm. this podcast world. You cannot have a show anywhere close to the lapsed fan if the goal is to gather as many listeners as possible because that's the only way to make a buck off advertising. We stand here from a position of strength, dealing from a position of strength in a backbiting podcast world because members of the solar system say, you know what? When they go on and on and on about the need to pledge to support the show, they're not just talking about their own pockets. They're talking about a model that allows something like this to exist in the first place, that allows something like this to sustain and to grow and to be responsive. If you pledge to us, we do the show for you. Mm-hmm. If you don't, enjoy the, the spoils, but don't sleep for a minute on who's actually paying the taxes, yeah. who's actually filling the coffers, who's putting the money in place so that the streets can be paved that we all drive on. And that's folks like Randy Villarreal, who's piped up and pledged up since we last joined you. A pleasure to have you, sir. Sean Watts, thanks for that cake. Dan Denson, thank you so much for the pledge, my friend. Andrew, welcome into the solar system, and thanks for that little extra bump. You didn't have to do that, or perhaps you did. Sean Richardson, thank you very much for the pledge, my friend. We hope you enjoy the exclusive content. Michael Bellotti, thanks for bumping up your pledge after realizing that 
that initial beachhead just wasn't enough. James Irwin keeps getting thicker, keeps getting more engorged, bumping up way beyond what's necessary, and we appreciate that, my friend. You're a true Solar System member. Kyle Bolton, welcome on board, my friend. You now have what you need. Abel Letier, who uh, it was a pleasure to read his scrawl uh, last time. Thanks very much for upping the pledge in response to the outreach. Bo Gorcheski, thanks very much for your pledge. We appreciate having you on board. You get a ton of stuff for your pledge. This isn't just some kind of, you know, put some money in the jar, put some money in the cup that we're shaking on the street corner. There's a lot to be gained, and there's going to be a lot more to be gained. Mm -hmm. We've said it already. Bite your bottom lip now and take it, because there's going to come a time quite soon when you're just going to do it anyway. So... Just feel like you made the decision and not that we made the decision for you. That's what yes. that's what I'm going to say. We've got connecting the spots. Chronological look through the WWE Network archives at stars we'd never even get a chance to talk about in the last time period. We have Fable for Three. Yep. A lot of supporting material for this Art of War Games journey. The Hall of Shame and Pain. Our look at Hall WWE Pain. Hall, Hall of Shame episodes. Boss, we have the pay-per-view calls. Let them know. That's right. Come on. And... And you know what? I mean, I guess when this when this uh, drops, it'll be over. But yeah, we get the pay-per-view calls, monthly pay-per-view calls. All right. We suffer through WWE, modern WWE, so you don't have to. Yes. And I guarantee you that the stuff that we record is going to be more entertaining than the stuff that's on television. And month after month after month, through that forum, we lay waste to the lazy take that the only reason someone would think wrestling of the past is better than wrestling of the present is because it's what they grew up on. Nonsense. Bullshit. And something that whenever someone takes the time to actually watch the wrestling we talk about on this show, they always end up saying something equivalent to what we said. Man, those were great promos. Yes. Man, those guys knew how to get a lot out of doing less. Yeah, yeah exactly. That has nothing to do with childhood. That has to do with achievement in an artistic category. That has to do with doing something right as opposed to taking all of the superfluous elements of something and making it the thing correct taking the garnish and the window dressing and making that the centerpiece of it i mean the mission continues and we're never going to be blinded to the ways in which the current wrestling offers sharp and distinct contrasts to the things we spend so much time autopsying week after week month after month year after year so get those monthly pay-per-view calls let us hold your hand through the muck and the morass we all have to admit we're addicted to pro wrestling for the rest of our lives yes there's no use denying it there's no use pretending that on pay-per-view sunday night we're going to be able to turn away and so in acknowledgement of that truth take ownership of what wrestling can do to you by letting your co-chairman commiserate with you yes and explain to you why you feel the way you do why you feel the hollowness that you do watching wrestling Contemporary wrestling. We understand. We put the words to it. And it's worth every penny. Because you're going to watch it anyway. You might as well watch it with some self-respect. Yep. But let the co-chairman put that context on it. Mystery Science Theater 3000 style. Your co-chairs, dicks out. Accounts serviced. And we finish inside every time. Every time. We pa- never pull out. Patreon.com. Get it going. Matt writes, Hey guys, I'm the dick who emailed you about the blondes and the click and the end of the NWO storyline. <laughs> I didn't sign it. Somehow it took me until this August to find your show, and I'm listening to one or three episodes a day trying to get caught up. It's amazing. I feel like you guys are just a couple of old buddies. It got me through a couple of horrendous months out here so far. I'm in the desert, and it's still in the 90s out here. Hey, can I go? 
Yeah. Got a blockbuster out there. Yeah, right. I'm a bit older than Get both tapes. of you. Yeah. <laughs> and got into wrestling in a weird way. I was in the Mr. T fan club when I was little. He was my uh-huh. hero. I had all the A-Team toys, and every month, I guess, I would get a letter from Mr. T and a signed pick. My mom or grandpa would read the letter to me while I stared at the pick. One day, I got a pick with him and some huge blonde dude. Who the fuck was that guy? I thought, and it turned out to be some dude named Hulk Hogan, brother. Mm. There was a night when my older stepbrother was staying at the household, the, the house, pardon me, the house, and he asked if he could watch wrestling. My ears perked up. It was the main event in February of 86. I begged if I could watch it as well, hoping to catch a glimpse of Mr. T. My parents let me. And in a dark room, we sat watching, and I shit my little pants when I saw that's King Kong. exactly what you should do. You should be watching wrestling in a dark room that's, alone. That's exactly Door right. shut. No windows. Because even if those things aren't true, it will feel like that's the setting. Yeah. When, when I saw King Kong Bundy and Don, the first coming of the Rock Morocco, destroy Hulk. <laughs> See, Rock and, Rock and Hogan happening in 86. He sold like a fire sale, and I couldn't believe something like this could happen and that no one was stopping it. I screamed at the TV, no, 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 kind of like Michael Scott on The Office when they found out that Toby was back in the annex. I didn't understand how the TV guide worked, so it took me a few months to catch wrestling again. I live in Southern California and didn't have cable, so WWF was all I got, but then I found a magazine at the grocery store and screamed and begged until my mom said I could have it. It was an issue of PWI that had the Road Warriors on the Mm. cover. One of these guys looked like my dad, but had Mr. T's haircut. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> wow, your dad looks like Joe Laurinaitis? <laughs> I looked through page after page of bloody warriors beating the shit out of each other and found out that there were other leagues of wrestling out there. I figured that the guys from NWA bled all the time because they were as good as WWF at not getting cut. So WWF was obviously the better league. <laughs> that makes sense, actually, in a weird yeah, way. Yeah, right. You kind of suck if someone can beat you up so badly that you, get, you bleed every night, right? Because the idea is to not bleed. Then one day at a store, I saw it. I couldn't believe it. It was the Remco Road Warriors toys. I snatched it up and then begged if I could get a team for them to fight. My choices were the Fabs or the High Flyers. My mom said the Fabs looked like strippers and that my grandpa would think I was funny, quote-unquote, if I <laughs> got them. So I ended up with Jumping Jim Brunzel and Greg fucking Gagney. Oh, Jesus Christ. Greg I had seen in the mags and knew that he had no body, but his toy looked like a He-Man. The Road Warriors look like that already. Flares. So, oh, I know. Those yeah. Remcos are something else. The Road Warriors look like that already, so I thought it was weird. The head looked like Andy Kaufman with his eyelids <laughs> cut off, or like he was on a shit ton of speed, which he was. But I didn't know about speed yet. I hated him. I had everyone beat him up. The Road Warriors, Brunzel, Mr. T, the rest of the A-Team, even Skeletor and He-Man could put aside their differences due to their hate for Greg. I hated his yellow tie-dye so wrestling funny. trunks, too. I hated that is so damn funny. I hated him then and ever since. I'll send you more thoughts as time goes on. Hail to the warlord, Matt from Death Valley. It's good to have a listener out in Death Valley, Matt. Oh, love it. We hear the echoes. And you see, that's what the show's about. Is speaking to somebody with that exact story, someone who thought they didn't have an outlet for those memories, yeah. who didn't think that they could find kindred spirits with which to share this unique hold that wrestling has on your life, if you've been a lifelong fan. And we're here. This show's about the wrestling fan. It's not about wrestlers. It's not about chasing and kowtowing to wrestlers and getting them to share a little bit of their spotlight. It's not about being co-opted. It's a lie anyway. (laughs) Right. Right. This is a show that is honest enough about what it means to be a wrestling fan that we have a certain degree of shame 
about the fact right. that we could be so thoroughly lied to for so many decades and just keep giving that enterprise money. We, we are, we are battered, battered spouses. That's correct. So Benjamin hooks us up with a link. Have you seen this? The girl who's voting at Fenway Park and she's got oh, her donkeys. fucking a, yes. I mean, you know the deal. You've seen it. You've heard it. It, it kind of went viral. I got my donkeys. I want to vote for Bernie Sanders. But it's a team sport. Now. Team sport. She's so Boston, etc. She does the accent and everything. But you know what my favorite part of that story was? Oh. Go ahead. Yes. What was it? The fact that uh, she fucking kayfabed her accent. <laughs> Thank you. This is what the wrestling fan is uniquely equipped to appreciate about modern life that others are a little slow on the uptake on. Okay? Wrestling fans who weren't so surprised at what happened in 2016 in the election. Wrestling fans yeah, who weren't right. so surprised at what gets over in wrestling gets over in just about any arena of human life. You just have to read the crowd and mm -hmm. give them what they want and convince them you're the only one who can give it to them. And that's what this woman did. She's incredible. Amazing. She yep. did an interview, I think it was with Buzz, BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed, yeah. Well, she said basically, you know, you imagine like this fucking ran, like this random woman's getting getting interviewed by BuzzFeed. Of course, yeah. And she's like, you know, I don't really talk like that. Like, yeah, like most people around here, you have the accent, but right, you know, but it's not it's crazy. Not, oh, you're not out there trying to be like fucking Jimmy Fallon SNL skit Boston. Nobody's like that. Like maybe well, if they're really drunk. Well, <laughs> we know a couple, a couple folks who I know are definitely, definitely. A hundred percent like that. But it's so wrestling to be like, okay, I want to get on. I want to get on camera. I want to get on the news. Yeah. I'm Boston. They're doing a story about voting at Fenway Park. I've got a hat on with all four Boston sports teams logos on it. I got a Dunkin' Donuts in my hand. What do I need to do? How do I need to sound to go viral? What do I need to do to be quintessential? Like my. <laughs> what do I need to do to be quintessential? And so I salute this worker. For figuring out what it would take and executing and acknowledging oh, yeah. it afterwards. Masterful, masterful shit. Justin writes, I feel like I'm blowing you guys up a bit here, but these prime WCW years shaped my teenage years. One thing that never gets a lot of discussion when people talk about this storyline specifically is that all these guys are the same age. He's talking, of course, about 1997, Arn Anderson's retirement and passing the torch, so to speak, to Kurt Hennig ahead of the 1997 War Games. Arn treats Kurt like a child during that promo, despite the fact that Kurt is six months older than Arn. That's unfucking believable Nash is just as guilty. He treats Arn like a broken-down geriatric fogey, even though at the time of the promo, they were the exact same age. What the fuck, man? Did they really think they were fooling anyone? Whatever. Yeah, well, <laughs> they did. That's why they did it. We'll all be dead soon anyway. P.S. How good has Ben won this match? Jesus Christ, what an asshole. Peace, love, and Conan's rolling lariats, Justin. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate the insight. Brian, always strong. Brian Blake, True Blue Solar System member. Question for the show. What movies... Hey, it's seasonal, boss. Oh, yes. What movies have made it onto JP's mid-card to main event watch lists for this Halloween oh, season? Well, let me tell you. I do have my... Crack it open. ...my list handy. Um, so far, uh, uh, I actually... I took it upon myself. I, I, I'm not, I haven't really watched a season of the show in a long time, but I decided to get it. It was, it was for like nine bucks on iTunes. American Horror Story 1984. I'm always a sucker for 80s nostalgia. It was okay. It was pretty good. Um, I've watched Beetlejuice, Bram Stoker's Dracula this year. 
Uh, I got this. Uh, uh, I watched the Dead Don't Die. It was a it's a Jim Jarmusch zombie movie. That's always a winner. Um, let's see. The Fogger is always a is always a favorite. Um, I just watched Halloween three, season of the witch. I'll be watching the original Halloween on Halloween night. Uh, I watched it chapter two. I watched it chapter one last year. So I watched it chapter two this year. Uh, both really good. They scare me. Have you seen the it movies in bits and pieces? No, oh, not God. front to back. Fucking horrifying. Um, the omen, uh, Rosemary's baby. I watched all screams. I always watch the scream movies. Shaun of the dead. And I watched, you know, what I watched for the first time in a long time. What's that? Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, sure, a classic. Mother of God, that is a horrifying movie. Is it? Wow. It just, it is, it is so gut wrenchingly terrifying. Yes. In, it's a very real, a real fear. And I was reading about it and how Toby Hooper, who directed it, he like, it, he was feeling a lot of things, and he took it out here. I was like, that's amazing. Wow. And, uh, and I watched, uh, actually my, my dad and I watched us. I showed him us. Oh yeah. That's great. Have you seen us? No. The, uh, the Jordan Peele movie from. Oh yes, I did. Year? Yeah. That one's great. It, it's, 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 it's phenomenal. It's so scary. Yeah. It's fucking horrifying. It is. Um, yeah. I mean, it's definitely been a, a lighter year. Watch Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead. I always watch my dead movies. Yep, my zombie movies. Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking of Get Out. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Oh, Get Out's great. I yep. didn't watch Get Out yet. Yep. I'm um, trying to get my wife to watch that one with me, but probably pretty won't pretty scary in its own right. It is. It yep. is. It's. Yep. I, that, I had to watch that one over a couple of days when I first watched it. Um. So, oh, so yeah, you're saying I you mean, haven't watched it yet this season? I see. Yeah. Huh? You've seen it before. You just haven't watched it yeah, yet this I've season. Yeah, I've seen it before. Okay. I didn't watch it this season. And I'm in the middle of. I'm in the middle of Psycho, and I'm in the middle of Night of the Living Dead right now. There you go. So, uh, Curiosity satiated, we hope. Man, yeah. I don't know. TLF and movies. Man, something hmm. to think about. Maybe. Now, we'll when, it, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to this notion of uh, you know, streaming, you'd mentioned that you picked up something on Apple TV, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about the Charlie Brown specials only being Apple TV exclusives this year, and you can't see them on network television? I didn't know that, but I yes. own them anyway. So doesn't really bother no, you me. fucking now I got to go buy them, but too late to see the to see the pump the great pumpkin one. Is it gone? It's all on a- Apple Plus, and I don't have Apple Plus, and I got to get it to get these. That's wow. you know. I've talked in the past about how the biggest tragedy about nostalgia is not what you're missing, but that you can't share with the next generation what it is that stuck with you and resonated with you as a kid. So they're not the uh, you know I saw it on Apple TV. I mean, I've always had, I mean, I, I bought, I bought the, uh, I bought the, the, the Charlie Brown holiday specials probably years ago already. So I've always had them, but I did not realize that this year they, they're exclusive to Apple. They've bought them all out and they will not be on any networks. Deal with that. That is rough. Very rough. I actually don't like that because there was, no, these are, these are. These are public domain at this point, as far as I'm concerned. There should be no one who owns yeah. this shit. I mean, come on. The because I'll tell you what I always, as much as I like owning and being able to watch those Charlie Brown specials whenever I want, there was something 
that made me feel warm and fuzzy every year watching it on TV. Thank you. I could always have bought the DVDs. Why don't I? Because part of the magic is yeah. being uh, watching the stuff around it. It's right. getting the Christmas ads. It's getting right. the, the advertisements for other holiday shows that are going right. on. It's about getting back to that feeling of, of being along for the ride when you watch television. Instead of being this active participant in every single moment, fast-forwarding, re- rewinding, changing screens, on-demand, voice yep. command, pause, speed up, go live, skip commercials automatically, can't skip this ad, stop. Just put the TV on. Yeah. Chill the fuck out. Stop being active about everything. Be passive I'm, for once in your life. I'm very disappointed right now. I had no clue. It's, it's I, not I a good development. The day. I saw it the other day and it was like, I was like, I wonder, I was like, that's so weird that it's on. And it's all of them. It's, the, it's, it's the Halloween one. It's the Thanksgiving one. It's so, the, uh, the Valentine's gosh. Day one. It's the, um, the 4th of July one. As well, for the first time since the 60s, Man. Charlie Brown Christmas isn't going to be on American television. Oh. Sounds fucking great. Sounds like real progress. Because now you can stream. I'm streaming. Stream where you want. I guess Apple TV is going to do some kind of thing where they're going to make it available for free, even to non-subscribers, for a period of time. But the fact that they feel compelled to do that should also have been the reason they didn't fucking make this move in the first place. But uh, I don't know. I'm su- I'm I'm thumbs way down. I I suppose that this would the ultimate decision would have come from the 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 Schultz estate. Yeah, yeah whoever owns the yeah, of course, and whoever owns the rights. I'm kind of surprised and disappointed that they went with this. Yeah, I guess the deal includes I was reading some idea of developing new uh, Charlie Brown specials for different holidays that don't have them already, which you know the world is begging for apparently like a mother's day charlie brown like it's just cool i don't, I, I don't, I don't hate like on the, it I don't, but it's I like home alone four just leave me alone i i put up with thanksgiving one because it's thanksgiving i don't like it no. i only like the ones with uh with peter what's his butt as charlie brown those are the ones that are good gotcha gotcha like there's no other there's no other person who can voice charlie brown i'm sorry of course yeah there's not a single person like it's funny even <sighs> And he made it all. He made it a long way, actually. Uh, 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 I gotta find. I gotta find his name. Peter Robbins. Peter Robbins voiced quite a few uh, 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 of the of the Peanuts. Yep. Cartoons back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a boy named Charlie Brown. He did Charlie Brown Christmas. Charlie Brown All Stars. Great Pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're in love, Charlie Brown. He's your dog, Charlie Brown. It was a short summer, Charlie Brown. A boy named Charlie Brown, and then that was, and then oh, oh, no, 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 that's you don't look forty. These are specials from, yeah, he played Charlie Brown from nineteen sixty three until nineteen sixty nine. He is he. All the other characters are like are are they're able to get they're usually able to get child actors that have similar enough voices that it doesn't bother me but charlie brown the only charlie brown i can i can listen to and feel like it's charlie brown is peter robbins voice that's huge that's very yeah. important um you know it 
Apple TV is the only company that can take a wonderful series like Charlie Brown and turn it into a problem. <laughs> I'm a little disappointed. I got to tell you, I actually really, and I'm a big Apple. Yeah. I'm an Apple uh, 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 champion. I'm I'm all about it. Like our, the entire family is pretty much Apple, but I am, I'm very disappointed right now that, that, like that actually takes, believe it or not, that takes a lot of that holiday spirit. That's right. Out. Those are three very important specials that I watched on TV every year, even though, again, Correct. I own them all. But I watched them. I watch, it's, I, I watch It's a Wonderful Life on NBC just for that yep. reason. You know, I tape yep. it so I can watch it yeah. linearly, like, a, like an yeah. adult instead yeah. of a man-child. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do the it's same. Like, it, it's funny because, you know, I, I, I own so many different copies of A Christmas Story. But I never watch it. Nope. I never watch what I own because Christmas I Eve. Watch it. I watch it on TV all day. Christmas Eve marathon. Absolutely. Right. Come on, folks. These things are basic. You know, the basic shit. And when you fuck with basic shit, you're playing. We already don't have the Macy's Day Parade. You know, enough is being taken away. Now I'm not going to be able to watch Charlie Brown on ABC. Right. Uh, Alex writes. I sincerely did not expect a breakdown of Wittgenstein from Lapsed Fan, but this is why I listen. Boss, I'd be lying to you if I said I haven't picked up introducing postmodernism in Jim Helwig's voice and done a few more <laughs> passages. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> amazing. Unstable interpretations are inevitable because writing tends to be a zero degree of sense. What does Barth mean? <laughs> You can read a text for pleasure and sense, but you're finally left with a sense of enigma. A final sense which the text doesn't express or refuses to surrender. A sort of unyielding thoughtfulness. It is like the thoughtfulness of a face which tempts one to ask, what are you thinking? <laughs> He's talking to the Mona Lisa. modernism <laughs> is a broad movement! That developed in the mid to late 20th century across philosophy, the arts, architecture, and criticism. Barth was an early and elegant exponent of semiotics. <laughs> Initially, postmodernism was a mode of discourse on literature and literary criticism. Oh, and so you're saying it's more than that now. Okay. Yeah, initially, no. Only confined to those who con concern themselves with the literary, I, I assure you. Uh, the term postmodern was first used in 1870. John Watkins Chapman suggested a postmodern style of painting as a way to depart from French Impressionism. Bez writes, in reference to last week's episode and Davy Boy Smith getting injured in the War Games, uh, the Fall Brawl show on the trapdoor. Yeah. Co-chairs, you guys were wondering when the Bulldog injury may have happened. I rewatched the match and it appears to happen at the 1957 mark when Bulldog takes a back body drop from Alex Wright. See, I, I, I noticed that too, but I thought that that wasn't where in the ring that I thought I could discern the trapdoor, but I could have been wrong. Bulldog's immediate reaction 
is the type of wince that looks like real pain and not selling. I'm very wow. surprised they were allowed to work in the first ring because it clearly has no give whatsoever. Makes sense that every other match, save for the main event, hey, I didn't notice that, took place in the second ring. Every match took place in the second ring. That's interesting. I mean, I didn't really... They didn't make a note of it, so I didn't really pay attention to that fact. Abel from Phoenix. Hold if you hear me, co-chairs. Listening to that Wolfpack spot on Nitro last week where they're spouting off catchphrases brings back all kinds of horrific memories of just how ridiculous the idea was. But my God, listen to that crowd. I realize that we all look back on it and laugh, but the Wolfpack was crazy over in 1998. Yeah. In the late 90s, so many young white teens, myself included, absolutely loved rap culture and often tried to emulate the look that was popular during that period. My question is, did you recognize the ridiculousness of the wolf pack at the time, or were you guys both bowdy-bowdy and rowdy-rowdy? Um, I always felt they were a little too old to act like that, even, even in 1998. Yeah, I also, I mean, uh, you know, I've got so, as it's, as it's made very clear and commented on many times, I've got so little knowledge of rap culture. It's It just never was part of my uh, growing up process. Yeah. Being a film score door. Yeah, you have you have as much uh, rap awareness as, I don't know, Wolfpack members, Lex Luger, Sting. Yes. Yeah. So it's like, that. that's what was clumsy about it to me is, like, Nash thought the Wolfpack had this swagger, but it was just him. Like... The other guys didn't. They had no... They were just standing around. Well, well I mean, you're, that's a lot. Nash having swagger. I mean, I don't know about that. Well, just the, the attempt at having that swagger. The others didn't even know what the hell this was supposed to be with him and Conan. As right. He tries to, to kind of, uh, you know, take Conan's clout in that regard. I think what bothered me the most, Abel writes, about the Wolfpack was that despite still being NWO, an organization that vowed to destroy WCW, the announcers cheered for them as if they were the baby faces. That's right. In fact, the only announcer I can recall that didn't buy into their bullshit was none other than Larry Zbysko. I remember him expressing disdain when Luger put on a red and black t-shirt during a Nitro <laughs> episode, while both Tony and Tanae cheered like happy children. And Sting? I'm not sure if the solar system remembers, but they actually did a test run of Sting joining the Wolfpack at a couple of house shows to gauge crowd reactions. He finally made the official turn on Nitro, much to the delight of everyone in attendance. If Sting speaking was the nail in the coffin for the Cro-Mang character... Joining the Wolfpack was the equivalent of pissing on the character's grave. Oh, yeah. Jack, do you remember the confrontation you had with Laps Nash from Starcade 98 episode where he no-sold all of your accusations and somehow managed to come out on top? I have a feeling the solar system is clamoring for a rematch. You think we got that earlier on this very show, boss? I think we yeah, did. Yeah, and um, I hate to say it, but you lost. <laughs> it's time to get that win back, brother. Easier said than done, Abel. P.S. My girlfriend is a first-grade teacher, and I was happy to hear her discussing the importance of maintaining a professional image, stating that she must always kayfabe while out in public due to the risk of running into some of her students. That's fucking funny. Oh, and let's bump the pledge up an extra $5 for the holiday season. I know it's not much, but given the comfort you've provided with me during the pandemic, it's a bump that Harley Race would certainly be proud of. Well, thank you, friend. We appreciate that. I appreciate that. that. Very much so. Uh, Randy. Uh, hey guys, it's Randy from Pittsburgh. Been a patron member for about two months now, and have been listening to the show since your days on WrestleZone. Have not missed a podcast, and look forward to them each week. Sorry to be late pay- paying for it, but finally felt obligated because of so much joy and laughter you guys bring. And when you read my last message over the air, I felt so much joy. But want to run my fantasy war games matchbooking by you, and would love you to hear your thoughts. It's WWE right. related, as I wasn't much of a WCW fan, but here it is. 
It's intergender, but it's Team McMahon, which is Vince, Triple H, HBK, Shane, and Stephanie mm-hmm. versus Rock, Austin, Foley, Brett, and China. That's interesting. Woman in the War Games. That's that is really interesting. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's fine. I, I don't know about. I, I I don't know about one woman. To me, that feels a little dangerous. Like not even not even on a on a fair level. Like you got these beefy guys, and then you got Stephanie. Yeah. Um, and China. I mean, she kind of is equivalent to a man. Don't treat her like so either. Way. Don't treat her like a woman. Don't treat her like a whatever. Don't treat her. Like she's China, but like, I don't know. I, to me, that feels dangerous, but yeah, I mean, the idea is solid. It's fantasy booking, but it's Vince versus everyone. He's screwed at one time or another. Yeah. I'd have the Stooges try and interfere and Eugene hold them off while China makes Stephanie tap at the end. What do you guys think? How might uh, you have this go or end? Would love greatly to hear your thoughts. Love your work and please keep us entertained for years to come. My pledge will go from 316 to 10 soon. You guys deserve every penny you get. Thank you so much for all the enjoyment. I like that finish. I mean, yeah. you have to involve China in the finish. Sure. It's, it's kind of like Paul Ellering and J.J. Dillon. The non-wrestlers come in last and they commence with the finish. You know, they what are we just, talking about? Stephanie's a former women's champion, and China was certainly a wrestler. We're talking about non-wrestlers. Uh, well, yes. I mean, non... I what you mean by saying that? That seems offensive. The two members of the, each team that are not on the level of the rest of the team. Maybe I should put it that way. Wow. So you're saying that China is not equivalent as a wrestler to the men. That's correct. Wow. That's correct. It's not by virtue of her being a woman. It's by virtue of her not being as good as the men. All right. And All she, right. Was, she was good. She was, she was damn decent. You know, I wouldn't say the same about Charlotte if she were on a team with modern uh, male workers, but there was quite a distance still at that time between uh, the level of um, of uh, in-ring capabilities that women on the WWE roster sure. had compared to now. Brian Blake makes another interesting point. WWE dodged a huge bullet by not bringing Warrior back. We spent so much time last week, boss, talking about Warrior's ill-fated 1998 WCW run, which went yeah. right through the war games. Vince offered him a multi-year deal at the end of 1997 for $750,000 with a oh bigger merch God. chunk. No way he fits in with that locker room with Austin, Sean, Triple H, and locker room leader taker. Yeah, that would have been something to see. And bosses, that would have been. Can you, I mean, in what, what, he said late 97? Yeah. Jesus Christ. That Shit, would have been was, a nightmare. He was throwing big money at Hogan, too, back then. I mean, that's uh, the supposition. Um had a eureka moment, and I was hearing Bruce Pritchard talk about that, like why the hell Vince would suddenly feel like he could no longer afford the 20-year Bret Hart contract at the tail end of 97. It's to free up money to try to bring Hogan back and, and fuck with the NWO and shit. That's my take, my uh, supposition. And so, bosses, if we're going to go to the end, the logical end, the sad, tragic end of the war games here in 2000, we might as well go back to the beginning. Dan takes us there. Dear co-chairs, my apologies for having to stop my Patreon earlier this year. COVID put me on unemployment as fast as a shower room brawl with Paul Orndorff. I had to cut out any extras in my budget. But as I was making cuts to Netflix, Hulu, etc., I came across the Patreon account where only the lapsed fan got my cash. I had to. I barely kept the ship above water in the last six months. I refused to listen to the cast because I was not worthy. I owe my sanity at the previous job I had to you gentlemen, and I would not listen again until I was a paying member of the solar system. 
Fast forward to September, and I finally landed my dream job I've been trying to get into for almost 20 years. I'm back, for you. and I'm sorry I ever left. We're happy for you, Dan. That's great to hear. I wanted to quickly tell you guys about the first time I saw War Games. Back in 1992, I went to a video store in upstate New York that my parents started to rent VHS tapes from. And walking around the store the first time, I came to The Wall. The one we all remember. Mm. Filled top to bottom with wrestling VHS tapes, WWF and NWA. My parents said I could rent two tapes. I decided on WrestleMania 7 and... Yes. Bash 1987. Wow! I'd never seen it. In the image on the case of drawn wrestlers behind a fence drew me in. I watched in awe of the blood that was spilled, the screams of agony of the participants, and J.J. Dillon getting dropped on his shoulder like a milk-toast bitch. <laughs> That's funny. It was amazing, and I rented the tape over and over again, until one day someone made me a copy with two VCRs. It is still in my top three favorite matches ever. In closing, I just wanted yeah. to say thank you to the Solar System members who have kept up on paying you gentlemen while some of us struggle to get by. Thank you, Jack and JP, for being the beacons of hope we need in these difficult times. And thank you for Hulkamania. Sincerely, Dan. I think Dan okay. takes us back to the true north of the War Games, boss. That I think so. The video store. The magic of the art of the cover. The art of War Games. The there, is, there is such a magic, uh, you know, again, mm-hmm. there is, there. Uh, it, the last time I felt that was... When we were in college, and I've talked about it, just like, you know, going to go driving all around different video stores, trying to find tapes that I had didn't have. I mean, motherfucker, that's insane. Hmm. And it was so much fun. So much fun. Such a way to fill your time and create a sense of chase and a sense of a sense of discovery. So much fun. Yeah. You would spend as much time envisioning what it would be like as you did enjoying what it actually was like. And you savored it. You savored it. You savored it. And it felt so good to hear that that faint din of the VCR dubbing mm-hmm. your, your your tape, you know, making your oh, copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Just that very soft hum that would come off the VCR as uh, you were capturing for your own personal collection uh, what the VHS tape brought to you. And I think it's fitting... Uh, at this point in the journey that we look back to 87 and just the magic of the VHS tape and how that magic speaks to the cultural moment into which the original war games fit. It was a match that, you know, created its immortality on the VHS shelves. Right. It wasn't right. something that aired in closed circuit. It wasn't something that people were able to buy at pay-per-view. Get it on, on, exactly. I was going to say pay-per-view. Nope. Something you never even saw on television, except drips and drabs of it, unless you got your ass to the video store and so the war games, for those who were early adopters from the beginning, I think is forevermore going to be associated with that wonderful feeling of hunting your local video store for matches that could take you to a place you hadn't been. And that's what the war games did. Yeah. And we need to thank the lifetime pleasures. We need to take some time here towards the, uh, the home stretch of the yard of war games to thank the folks that have pledged over $1,000 over the course mm. of their patronage to the show. And if you give, you know, first of all, if you don't give, you have everyone who gives to thank. And even if you do give, you still have these folks to thank. Because dollar for dollar, pound for pound, these are the folks that make it more than worth it. Thomas Atanasio, of course, still at the head of the leaderboard, probably always will be the greatest lapsed fan of all time. Coming in almost at six grand. That's a big dick, motherfucker. 
Come Veiny, up. big dick motherfucker. Correct. Coming up close, Mike Hornecker. Thanks for everything, Mike, over the years. Danny Ancavu, Pedro Rios, Paul Ford, Brandon from New Jersey, Brian Blake, Joshua Marbury, Will Winthrop, Mark Daper, Jim Rocco, Robert Holtzhammer, Harry Cocoronis, mm. Gerard Martin, Christian Bowersox, Dominic Herrera, Rob Doherty, Brian Hines, the King of Homestyle, Louis Perez, James Riley, and welcome to the category, Leron Mason. Mm-hmm. Quite a few other folks that are hitting that ceiling, that are about to knock on that door, that are going to earn that special place in our hearts. And who knows, yeah. one day we may be able to pay you back for it. Sure, sure. We appreciate all the love and uh, you getting us through the art of war games. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast. It's the Lapsed Fan Wrestling Podcast with Jack Encarnacio and J.P. Sorrow. So that's not the only way you can support the show. Um, I don't know. If for some reason you might have a need to activate the bench of lapsed characters, boss, there's a little platform called Cameo that can help you with that. Oh, boy, there is. Cameo.com slash the lapsed fan. And I'll tell you, you know, we say, you know, get your creative juices flowing, that you get to decide the fate of the lapsed characters, create canon. We had one this week, Mother of God, if you haven't, go go now. Go go to the lapsed fan. Go to cameo.com slash the lapsed fan. Take a listen to this one. If it's still up there. Satan interviews Vince McMahon for to Satan wants to retire. And he wants Vince McMahon to take over. It's uh it's quite a doozy. I've heard them all that we've done to date, and we've done dozens and dozens and dozens. Yep. This is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> It was pretty out there. It was a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, go for it. Let us know what you got. And uh, of course, when you are a lapsed fan and when you're a true blue lapsed fan, we want you to show your colors. We want you to be proud. So to properly show your colors, you go get some swag over at ProWrestlingTees.com slash the lapsed fan goddamn right where you can get a i mean i can't even the amount of shirts that we have now again it's kind of cooled down my i think my my creative juices are finally you know ah uh 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 calming down um but i'll tell you we've got so many up there from the very popular uh right now the uh, uh, what's the fucking, uh, you're in danger shirt with Gary Hart. I never took sting seriously though. Huge. The L'Enfant Terrible shirt. <laughs> you got the lapsed fan nitro shirt. You got the, 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 uh, uh, lapsed AWA shirt. You got the TLF Saturday night shirt. You got the lapsed Legio shirt. I'm mm. a big fan of that. Very fun. Um, you're <laughs> For those of us, you know, we the, when they came on with the uh, wh- whatever the Thunderdome, yeah, we called it Zoomer Slam, yes, and we, we did. have our shirt there, the TLF Zoomer Slam shirt, Teriyaki Brother. Uh, I can tell you about pain. Yeah, you can. Mark McCool, locker room loser. And there's something magical, like we did last week, about doing an episode that is, you know, related to Davy Boy Smith's uh, late life. Uh, substance reliance yeah and uh 
all of a sudden we get ping that someone picked up a Mr. Hitman I'm Fooked shirt. Mr. Hitman I'm Fooked fresh with crack pipe. Uh, there's also the Brecht Heart shirt. Yep. Classics like the Pulled Pork Express. Postmodern Fakery. Postmodern Fakery. The Lapsed Brunch. Don't forget that. Bacon, Biceps, and Bullshit. That's, that's a classic. Holy shit. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. Journey WrestleMania Journey Days. It is. It is indeed. So, uh, one that I, I appreciate, too, the the uh, the lapsed Bill of Rights, mm-hmm. Amendment 2, the right to bar arms. Yes, we know quite so, a bit about that. So, of course, if you listened to Disco Inferno last week, you should be getting your Disco Fuhrer shirt. That is one that did not move in no, concert with the episode. Sadly not. But, uh, yeah, no shortage of ways to show your support. And we love seeing members of the solar system, including uh, our man Jeff, who makes sure to wear uh, the shirt at, in moments where they're on a Zoom call or in an autograph signing. Awesome. And when those resume, always great to see us out in the wild like that and folks representing that way. Always a real thrill. Uh, let them know the truth. Let them know that there is one true north in wrestling fandom. Let them know yes. that there's only one way to be a self-respecting fan of professional wrestling, and that's to subscribe to the Lapsed Fans' worldview and outlook on damn right. the industry. And if the aforementioned forum of support uh, aren't to your liking, you can always just drop a digital tip in the tip jar on PayPal, thelapsedfan at gmail.com. Send us some scratch that way if you're so inclined. But uh, yeah, don't assume that uh, anything that's worth a shit comes for free. That's my advice. And so with that, boss, the Art of War Games uh, is about to hit that deep dive on the Art of War Games, on War Games 2000, I should say. Yeah. I think you've got a quote and a death toll for us. I do indeed. So, death toll. Fortunately, it's a light. It's a light load. I only counted two. Unless you tell me otherwise, I got Brian Adams and Sean O'Hare as the two who are wow. who are past. Yeah. Some I wish were dead, but that doesn't count. Yeah, that's that never count. counted. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So only two light load this time around. Wow. And um. We turn to Master Sun. Yes, we do. To plunder <laughs> a locality, divide up your troops. Okay. To expand your territory, divide the spoils. The rule for military operations is to feed off the enemy as much as possible. However, in localities where people do not have very much, it is necessary to divide up the troops into smaller groups to take what they need here and there for only then will there be enough as for dividing the spoils this means it is necessary to divide up the troops to guard what has been gained not letting enemies get it some say it means that when you get land you divide it among those who helped you get it but in the in this context i suspect that is not what is meant act after having made assessments mm-hmm. The one who first knows the measures of far and near mm-hmm. wins. This is the rule of armed struggle. <laughs> the first to move is the guest. The last to move is the host. <laughs> the guest has it hard. The host has it easy. <laughs> you can say that again. As the host of the Art of War games hmm. all these weeks. It's about to get a little difficult, though, because yeah. uh, it, it's the equivalent of... Uh, it's the equivalent of raising 
uh, a child to be on the straight and narrow, and one day they come out of their room, and it looks like they just shot up heroin. Yeah. So it's time for the War Games 2000. It's time for the Art of War Games to take a sad turn as we close the book on the history of this match in World Championship Wrestling under the NWA, WCW, JCP auspices. In so many ways, it feels like an ending. It's on the other side of this break as Russo's revenge becomes our great lament here on TLF.